Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. It is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. My thanks to Mayor Fertig, father of an Israeli soldier uh, who subbed for uh, me yesterday. Couldn't be here yesterday. Long story. Um, Baruch Hashem, all is fine, all is good. And my thanks to Mayor and uh, how fitting that the show yesterday in the midst of the war was hosted by somebody who is the father, the parent of an Israeli soldier who is now serving um, among almost 400,000 reservists that have been called up since Shabbat morning, Shemini Atzeret Simchat Torah morning in Israel. And um, as I've said multiple times already since the war has begun, not only is the world smaller, and there is a greater association, friendship um, w- between Jews of Israel and Jews of the diaspora. That's something that naturally has happened over the last many decades. But in addition to that, the um, commonality of having American parents who are... Um, who are parents of uh, Israeli soldiers, is uh, extraordinary. It is unbelievable how many people have seen their children and grandchildren move to Israel, including, of course, many who've moved themselves over the years and, uh, and now are serving in the IDF and are key components, obviously, to the war that rages on and that now, based on reports might be extending to the northern part of Israel as well. I think it's important to remember how important the role of um, those children and grandchildren, how important that role is right now in Israel. Uh, We've, um, during very difficult times, none like this since the Yom Kippur War, but during very difficult times over the last many decades, We've um, always felt a lacking. We've always felt being in the diaspora, we are on the sidelines of what our brothers and sisters are going through, and obviously that's still true to a major extent. But we are living with, and we are going to shul with, and we are going to shiurim with, and we are going to demonstrations with, and we are shopping with parents of Israeli soldiers in our communities, New York, New Jersey, and many other areas of the United States and the diaspora. And I think that's vital and important to keep in mind. We have an even closer association, as lonely as we might feel and as isolated as we might feel as we sit on the sidelines, how proud we are and how concerned we are for the families that we are associated with who have children right now serving in the Israeli army. And that's, of course, in addition to 
the care and concern we have for every soldier who's um, fulfilling their duty and defending the Jewish people everywhere right now. I have been very critical of certain segments of our community uh, over the years for a lack of response. I've got, as I said on Monday, I've got to uh, use this opportunity to praise every segment of our community, every um, Israel lover, every Zionist, every religious and secular Jew that has stepped up in their own way. The um, You may not have seen all Jews at yesterday's Manhattan rally, but my, demonstration, but my God, my God, the number that were there was just incredible. Kalakavod to everybody. And you may not have seen everybody at the outdoor tzfila gatherings, like the one in Crown Heights, which was spectacular the other night. And you may not have had everybody together uh, down in Lakewood, New Jersey, when the yeshivas in Lakewood gathered together for a public demonstration of tefillah and uh, words of encouragement and inspiration during this time. But everybody's coming through, <clears throat> and they've got to be acknowledged. Nobody's ignoring the situation. Nobody's ignoring the situation. And the public demonstrations, and I cannot say this enough, and I, and I need everyone to understand that the, the public demonstrations are so much more important than any of these Zoom and virtual gatherings that are taking place. When we gather for tefillah and chizuk and speeches via Zoom, obviously I'm not discouraging it. It's a very effective way to spend time during these times. But the, but the outdoor public displays for the world to see of hundreds of thousands in Manhattan, of tens of thousands at tefillah gatherings, at, at demonstrations in the hundreds on a local level, no matter where it might be. I saw one this morning on the news from Goshen, New York. Kolakavod to those. It looked like Orthodox Jews who, who arranged it. Kolakavod. And it brings out people from the Israel-loving community who are Jews and non-Jews. Uh, it is those um, it, it is those public displays that are so vital, so key, so important, and so disheartening to the enemy, including the enemy that's here in our area, by the way. But that's a, a whole separate topic at the moment. So uh, this is again for me as a kid, the Yom Kippur War was a um, was a very very stark memory. Is a very stark memory. I was at an age where it was very easy to remember for the rest of my life everything that went on in the United States, and especially in the New Jersey area as I was growing up here at that time. Uh, and the focus was, uh, as I said, the focus was Tehillim and Tefillah, which, of course, who's going to discourage that? And, at that? and the Israel Emergency Fund. Israel was in desperate need of funds, and we went around collecting. And now... It is not only, by the way, the public demonstrations that get coverage on the news, but every one of the synagogues, every one of the Jewish organizations, every one of the Facebook groups that are, that are, uh, that are gathering together for any type of gesture to get supplies to Israel, to get basic necessities to members of the IDF, 
to um, to to um, collect clothing, to collect anything to get on these planes, and kolakavod to those who make who are making these arrangements for everything to get on these planes, and for the people in Israel who are distributing them, and and those in Israel who are. I mean, I saw something. Uh, how many videos have I seen since Sunday night? Right, a million, like everyone else. The koshering of a non-kosher kitchen in Tel Aviv at the insistence of the owners of the kitchen so they can cook and make food for everybody in the army. I mean, and then I saw the videos of the, uh, the Frum people, noticeably orthodox people who, you know, schlepped down to the south with their barbecues and a bunch of meat and are, you know, feeding the soldiers. Those, every one of those, as opposed to the Zoom gatherings, which don't get any type of attention, every one of those activities is on public display, is on videos that are being seen everywhere. And they're very encouraging and they're wonderful. That's why those who are circulating positive videos of food that's being made of, uh, of collections that are going on in this country to be sent to Israel, of scenes at the airport, which are so amazing. I've spoken countless times about people who dropped everything on Yom Kippur here 50 years ago to run and defend Israel. We've spoken about it many times, what, it, what the airport looked like that Saturday night. Yom Kippur war broke out on a Shabbos, Yom Kippur. And... Um, and, and, and it's being duplicated now, it, and, and even more so, because there's so many more people now. There's so many more Jews that are, uh, that, that, that are eligible for the army who are living in the United States. The numbers are just, are just larger. That's the way it is. And that scene is being replicated and reported. And again, it's hard to determine always, you know, what's 100% true or not, but there are a lot of very um, uh, reliable sources that are reporting on what's going on at these airports and people who are stepping up. We always cr- criticize is the wrong word. We always point out how there's an incredible amount of disposable income in our world. Look what people are using it for paying for tickets for those who are going to serve, which is unbelievable paying for supplies. And it's, um, and, and it's also, uh, it's good to see that our political, our government officials are saying what needs to be said. Um, I think people are right that uh, yesterday's speech by President Biden would never have been given by some of his predecessors in the Democratic Party, and I get that. And I'm not here to criticize any of them. Thank God the United States is standing with Israel. Not minimizing that, even with all my cynicism. Uh, but there are certain... There are certain facets of the American uh, world of celebrity that are shockingly silent. And I, I tried to confirm this yesterday with someone I know who is very involved in the world of Hollywood and the world of American celebrity. And they confirmed it for me. There are too many people who are high profile in this country who are silent I mean, it's great that, well, I mean, for, for instance, it was wonderful to see that, um, 
that post by Jerry Seinfeld, obviously a member of the Jewish community, about his years on the kibbutz and and how he's thinking about you know those who have uh, who have become victims and are now being and those who are still alive who are being terrorized by the whole situation and the trauma they're going through. And that's that's wonderful, but but boy, there are so many high profile people, Jew and non Jew, in the Hollywood you know milieu, who have ignored this entirely. And it's baffling to me. And it's something to keep in mind down the road. You know, it's one thing when members of the squad make outrageous statements, uh, you know, which they can't defend when confronted by, uh, when confronted by um, reporters. But members of the, uh, of the Hollywood celebrity community are just completely... With, without any without any comment. So we got to keep the pressure on. The public demonstrations are vital, vital. If you know of anything, of any type, and again, I'm not minimizing at all the uh, Tefillah gatherings and the Tehillim gatherings because those videos, you know, they go around the world as well, and let's take advantage of that. I, I was critical of of, you know, not critical, I was suggesting that the in-person ones are much more effective than the ones on Zoom for the purposes that I'm discussing. Obviously, they're effective on Zoom in terms of reaching the one above, but you get my point. Um, so, you know, whatever whatever can be done in terms of uh, tefillah gatherings, in terms of Tehillim gatherings with videos, and if there are schools that are singing Hatikva and schools that are sending messages, get them out there on social media. We have to flood social media with positive messages right now. And um, in terms of the in-person demonstrations and the rallies, they are key. They are vital. Um, we we know we know the politics of the majority. I'll say this in as sensitive a way as I can. We know the politics of the um, majority of the potential leadership of New York City. Let's put it that way. We have saw that in the last election. We know who they sympathize with. It must have killed them to hear Mayor Adams at that rally yesterday. Must have killed them. But Mayor Adams came through. He came through. Governor Hochul came through here in New York. And it is vital and important that that pressure continue. Um, just because we know and are always concerned with justice and we have a tremendous value for life, we have learned again that uh, the enemy does not, has no value for life. Situation with the hostages as days go on is just unfathomable. I don't know how our brothers and sisters in Israel are dealing with it. We have to pray for them. Um, as I said on Monday, I can't even imagine, even though the United States and Israel both claim to have uh, these great um, um, systems for hostage saving, um, I think the one above has to plant a brilliant strategy into the minds of the military and the um, government officials in Israel in order to get this done, and I hope he does. We should pray for that. Keep that in your tefillos every single moment. 
if it saves anybody of these hostages, it's worthwhile, and certainly we hope all of them can be saved. Rabbi Stephen Przanski is going to join us. He served, of course, uh, rabbi here in Teaneck, New Jersey, for quite a while. He's now in Israel as a resident of the state of Israel. And um, ironically, he was with us recently to discuss the 30th anniversary of the Oslo Accords. How did that work out? He also discussed with us the disengagement of 2005. How did that work out? He'll join us coming up right here. Keep it at JM in the AM. is the brilliant Shai Abramson, the Mishaberach for Tzahal, and Kolakavod to all the uh, teachers and uh, schools around the world in general who are uh, who are teaching our children the Mishaberach for Tzahal, who are teaching our children Avinu Shabbat the prayer for the state of Israel. There is um, no more important of a time to do that than now, obviously. Our dear friend, Rabbi Stephen Przanski, who, of course, is now a resident of Israel, is Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation B'nai Yeshurun here in Teaneck, New Jersey, uh, Israel Region Vice President of the Coalition for Jewish Values and Senior Research Associate at the Jerusalem Center for Applied Policy. Uh, Rabbi Przanski's on the road, but I figured it's uh, I'm going to take advantage of any opportunity we have to speak with him. So um, if you hear the background noise, obviously he is... Uh, 
traveling at the moment. Ryder Przanski, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Nachum, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you under the even under these difficult circumstances. I have to imagine, because you're in Modi'in, I have to imagine that you are surrounded by God knows how many families who now have soldiers serving in the IDF reserves. Right. Well, in our shul alone, about 150 young people are gone. They're uh, in the military, along with uh, fathers, you know, husbands. So, yeah, there's a big uh, numerical gap in just in our small community, but all across Modi'in and all across Israel. The, the bottom line is that all of Israel really is a battlefield today, and we're all targets of a ruthless uh, Nazi-like enemy. And therefore, it's a fight that has consumed everyone. Oh, yeah, well said. Uh, not to dwell on it, because there's so much to talk about regarding what's happening right now, but we, we have to ask you um, about Shabbos. Uh, what, what, what was it like? Because I'm assuming on Shabbos Day, on Shmini Atzeret, which is also Simchat Torah in Israel, I'm assuming that all throughout the day you were watching and hearing about uh, uh, soldiers who were being called up and those who literally on Shabbat had no choice but to join their units immediately. I didn't have to hear about it because I saw it with my own eyes. So I actually davened at uh, Hashkama, and I was back in my son's house in Ramat Beit Shemesh uh, a little before 9 o'clock, maybe even a quarter to 9, and just I think it was 5 to 9, the first siren uh rang out, you know, Tzav uh, Dome yeah. of an incoming rocket. It was the first of five times that we ran to the shelters just in the next few hours. And, you know, you, you hear in the distance the Iron Dome intercepting the uh, incoming missile. And then reports started filtering in because uh, we're right next to Yeshiva Lev HaTorah, which is a Hezdi Yeshiva. Right. And uh, the boys who are in reserves, they have to keep their phones on. And the Tzav Shmona, the call to duty, uh, kept sounding that morning. So you saw I mean, such a difficult, difficult uh, experience. These boys coming out of yeshiva still in their white shirts and their Yom Tov pants. And now with their backpacks on them, heading to the front. And I myself saw dozens some able to change into the uniform and some just with their uniforms in their backpacks uh, walking down the street heading to cars and taxis to take them down to the front and i think it's worth noting i mean these are people that we all relate to uh even in teaneck in bergen county so many of our young people uh study just at leif hatora for example and so many of them stayed on after their year or two to join the military, and they're the ones in the reserves. So it really uh, hits quite close to home. Yeah. I don't think this is – I'm sorry for interrupting, but this is one of the points that we've been harping on, and I think it's so vital and important. Uh, (laughs) I had the experience with my own son. Uh, I said to him, you know, did you, were, you know, it's the beginning of this man. I said, are you familiar with any of the guys who went to the army? Again, with me thinking like I, you know, when I was a teenager that obviously anybody going are Israeli natives. 
And, uh, and he says, do I know any, you know how many of them are Americans that I know for years? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. And that's exactly one of the points we're making here. And you could relate to this as much as we always feel like we're on the sidelines and isolated here in the diaspora in situations like this. Now, Rabbi Brzezinski, I mean, yesterday, this show was hosted by the father of an Israeli reservist. I mean, we are shopping with, we are davening with, we are saying to Hillam with, we're going to Dafyomi with parents and grandparents of Israeli soldiers. Right. So there's that personal familial connection. You know, I have two nephews down at the front and my grandson is otherwise in the IDF now, but it's not just familial. It, it's a broader family of Klal Yisrael. Yeah. Because let's face it, Hamas announced, it's not that it's anything new, but that every Jew in the world is a target. Yep. And we know they have targeted Jews in Europe, South America, North America. Every Jew feels this connection, should feel the searing pain and anguish that we all feel. And it's not just lishtatef bitzar to participate in the grieving of others, but it's all us. It's happening to everyone. And, you know, the numbers that have come out after the first two days and the deeds, the, the dastardly, heinous, horrific deeds oh. that were committed against our people, evocative of the Holocaust, it has everyone mobilized to do it, each person, man, woman, boy, girl, in order to help the fighters and to sustain morale and to inflict on the enemy a deadly blow. All right, Stephen Frzanski is with us. He's, of course, in Israel. So the big question, and uh, neither you nor I are military experts, but uh, we've gotten used to the fact, and I, I don't know how many times I cited it on this show over the last decades, uh, that Israelis' uh, intelligence and expertise in the area of intelligence uh, helps to such a large degree to keep our brothers and sisters in Israel safe. Uh, every time we point out that a terrorist attack has been "quote unquote" successful, uh, we go out of our way to point out that you know we don't know uh, just how many were prevented. At the same time, that one got through, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, any explanation? You're you're reading the Israeli media and watching it much more closely than we are. Any explanation how all of this was done without an inkling of an idea by Israeli intelligence? Well, the governing principle is that now's not the time for uh, recriminations. The time for that will come. And when it does come, I feel there'll be a, a very harsh result against the prime minister, defense minister, the intelligence establishment, etc. Uh, suffice it to say, they were trapped in a conception that almost duplicated what happened before the Yom Kippur War. You talk it into yourself why the enemy can't attack, and therefore everything that happens has to fit into that general framework. So even though there are repeated raids on the border over the last few months and cutting the fence and trying to get through and, and, and etc., all that is testing the facilities, the the security and surveillance uh, system that was in place in order to know how to deal with it. But it basically was ignored because no one would think that Hamas would do it. You know, they had become quite accustomed over the years to something, I have to say, I railed against this notion of, uh, Netanyahu said for many years already, 
you'll get quiet for quiet. Meaning if you don't attack us, so we don't care how many missiles or rockets you acquire and, uh, and uh, prepare to use, we're just going to uh, uh, enjoy the quiet now and kick the can down the road. And the mentality was every few years, you have to mow the grass a little, mow the lawn. That's what it's called here, right. to, to try, try to reduce their capabilities as much as possible. But that can't go on forever. And that itself, that conception, I think, will be lambasted in the coming months after this is finished. Look, there's a consensus, even amongst the left here, that Hamas can't survive. And if it survives in any form, in any form, then this war is a terrible failure and defeat for Israel. And that's one of the fears that we have now. Of the enemy, there's not such a fear. Of the diplomacy after the fighting stops, or even during the fighting, there is a fear. Right now, the world is very supportive, and the American government, the Biden administration is very supportive, but the estimates here won't last more than a week. Right. Even last night in Biden's speech, yep. when he said, was last night here, yesterday in America, yep. when he said that the, the, the warfare has to be conducted under the rules of war. Yep. Well, yeah, that's very nice in an academy, yep. but you're dealing with an enemy that does not respect the rules of war. How do you apply morality or the rules of war to an enemy that openly not only defies them, but mocks them. Yep. Uh, I would just remind the, I will remind the audience of one thing, because we'll be hearing in the coming weeks about the civilians in Gaza, this, that. The bottom line is the Gazans voted Hamas into power in 2006. They got the majority in the parliament in Gaza, and then just a year later they threw out Fatah. But the people got what they voted for. And we should never forget that. Yeah, no question about it. Rabbi Brzezanski is with us from Israel. Um, the, to the point you just made about how long this feeling can last, especially among those who traditionally are leftists, I remind everybody that in the few days after 9-11, people you never would have suspected would become hawkish and would insist that the United States, you know, uh, hunt down bin Laden and murder everybody in his circle, etc., etc. A couple of weeks later, all of a sudden they changed their tune. So this feeling, as you described, is going to dissipate pretty quickly. Um, I, yeah, I think it will. And bear in mind, you know, there's a lot of support in America from the good and normal people and in Europe, even from the governments. But what I see on the college campuses yep. and in the streets of the cities, Harvard, people glorifying Harvard, Yale, NYU, people glorifying and extolling Hamas murder, vicious, horrific, torturous murder of babies and women i mean are those the leaders we're preparing for tomorrow yeah. the lawyers the college graduates what's going to be in the, america the journalists the town? journalists of tomorrow the journalists yeah some of them are already journalists today with their activity on social media uh also to the point about the intelligence that you um uh that you uh addressed when i asked about it uh i i think not to be too spiritual and philosophical, but I think, again, we've learned the lesson that there's really ultimately only one prime minister of Israel. And uh, it's not Netanyahu. It's obviously the one above is the reference I'm making. And he rules the world. Yeah. And, and, and the only way to you explain know. all this is, 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 to again, uh, is to, again, affirm our belief that he controls all. 
Right. I, 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 the other day, I coined the phrase that this is really Milchemet Yom Kippurim Right. It's the second Yom Kippur War. And not only because of the great failure of intelligence that took place before the war in 1973, but because of what happened on Yom Kippur here in Israel, the, the terrible sights of yep. Jews yep. disrupting, davening, saying, we don't believe in God, you have no place in the public square, and that type of disunity, well, now God says to us, I'll do something that will reunite you. you yep. You'll finally understand what it is that brings Jews together. And it's not just the common enemy, but rather it's the common destiny that we have yeah. as the Am Hashem, God's people, the Am Nivchar, the chosen people. And uh, give me a two-minute warning, Ari Przansky, before you, you reach your destination. Also, how many of those reservists refuse to serve, Ari Przansky? Can I assume the number is zero? Uh, the number is uh, less than zero because you have a 105% response rate, Unbelievable. meaning more people have showed up in the South than were called up. Yep. That is the extent. And you see, it's unleashed. You know, the, 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 the evil is so staggering, but it has unleashed the type of kindness and warmth and sensitivity that really inheres in all Jews that just needs a spark that it should come out and be actualized. And that we saw... Yeah, it's not worth a war and the, the terrible death that we've suffered in order to uh, have that type of unity, but it is a byproduct. There's no, there's no way around that. And look, will I say the feeling will last uh, longer than uh, a few months? I can't say that, but we can enjoy it now, and we hope that at least in the future, it's somewhat the disunity and the different factions are somewhat tempered down the road, and we realize our commonality right. as the people of Israel and the land of Israel. Let, let me ask a rhetorical question, even though you might say to me, as you, as you said earlier, that it may not be the day for it. But ironically, uh, the last time we spoke on the air, uh, we were discussing the 30th anniversary of Oslo. How did that work out? And of course, we cited the 2005 disengagement from Gaza. How did that work out? Uh, again, this may not be the day for it and for this analysis, but how could one not think about these tragic mistakes that have been made in recent modern Jewish history? Yeah, all based on the fantasy that somehow we in Israel are post-Jewish history, meaning the lugubrious history of the Jewish people is ancient, or at least 80 years ago, right. and we don't have to deal with it anymore, that they'll never again, how does that phrase sound? when you have Jews shot in their beds and hauled off into captivity, that never again will Jews go uh, defenseless, uh, ruthless enemy. Yeah, we are not past Jewish history. At Biat HaMashiach, until Mashiach comes, we have to struggle for our Torah, our identity, our land, and that's the reality in which we live. God has blessed us in the land of Israel with so many things. The problem has been... And I'll say as a general statement, and you could plug in however you feel, the problem is too often we spurn his gifts and we say to ourselves that, ah, or we say they say to themselves, we don't really need it. Maybe give them this, give them that. Let's all live together, etc. I was learning uh, the Sedra of Vazot HaBracha. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, He said, the land of Israel 
means Ashrech Yisrael Hashem because we're the only Ummah, the only nation that should be residing in the land of Israel. And whenever you have other peoples who make claims to it, it is an inherent source of friction. So sure, Oslo was a fantasy. The, the expulsion from Gaza was also based on fantasy. And you know, people keep writing here, even the left. You see it sometimes in, in the media outside of Israel that the two-state illusion is gone, dead, finished. It's even the Wall Street Journal today. I wish it were true. I wish it were true. The problem is when people stop seeing reality and they become so frozen in their worldview, what happens is that everything that occurs in reality on the ground just reinforces their prior view. You hope that such a terrible shock to the system will cause people to awaken and say, hey, this is a real enemy, a real enemy that we have in front of us that is implacable. It's a mullet. There's nothing you could say to them, nothing you can convince them. And for that matter, again, you go back to the demonstrations in the, the cities around America and in Europe and on the campuses. It's not, an, it's not a question of hasbara, of explaining to them the, uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the conflict here. There's nothing to explain. If you seek to rationalize the, de- the, the, the murderous deaths of infants, the mutilation of bodies, what they're doing to uh, women, if you try to rationalize that, you've lost not only your humanity, you've lost your mind, and you can't talk to such people. And that's the problem. We're living in a world where so many people cannot be spoken to. Yeah, you can't, their minds. you can't talk to such people, even if they serve in the Congress of the United States. That's correct. You can't talk to them. Their minds are so closed and wrapped around an idea that is nurtured in the soil of Jew hatred, absolute, utter Jew hatred. There's nothing to say to them. Rabbi Przanski's with us. Uh, I'll let you go in a minute. We just have to end on a positive note, obviously. Uh, you remember what life was like here in the United States, being on the sidelines, so to speak. You and I and hundreds of others on many occasions were, were so we're often compelled to run to Israel in situations like this because we didn't want to be on the sidelines. We wanted to be as close to there as possible. Uh, you must be reading. It sounds like you're reading and watching a lot. You must be reading about the public demonstrations, pro-Israel, of course. Uh, you must be reading about the tefillah gatherings in Lakewood and in Crown Heights and all these videos that, thank God, I'm encouraging people to gather publicly for anything because these videos go viral and they're so important for people to see. They're so much more effective than getting together via Zoom where the nobody in the world knows about it uh, or, or sees it afterwards. I'm not discouraging people from getting together in any forum to say Tillam or to Davin, but I think everyone here understands what I mean. Uh, and of course, I'm sure you've seen the videos of planes being packed with supplies and shuls getting together to send things to soldiers in Israel, etc., etc., etc. Is are the Israeli people, with everything else that's obviously a priority for them right now, so I almost have a chutzpah even asking this question, but do they recognize that Jews around the world are trying to play some type of an active role in what's going on? A hundred percent. You have to understand, it's, a, it's a, what we say in Israel, lo pashut, you know, it's not a simple situation with classic Israeli understatement. The, the radio only plays somber music. I was in the mall yesterday, Modi'in. All the stores are closed because all the young people are gone. Right. The, the streets are empty. The stores are empty. And yet, when we read about and we see the tefillot, the tehillim, 
the supplies, the concern that's expressed, it's inspirational because it reminds us that we really are Am Echad. And those of us in Israel and those of us not yet in Israel really do share the same destiny. And we have the same, deep down, the same goals in life. And we share the same heritage and the same history, some more, some less, but it's all part of one family. And that strengthens us. And the more people do, and there are a lot of needs, and you know them as well, in the military, helping the families who have been dislocated from the South. Things, of course, are heating up in the North as well. Every action a person does, and even on the campuses, when they challenge the Jew haters and stand up with pride, Jewish pride, all that brings us tremendous encouragement and gives us the spirit to persevere. Can't thank you enough. Uh, your words are, uh, are much appreciated, and you've started our day in a very encouraging way. Uh, stay safe, Rabbi, and best regards to everybody in Aritz. Thank you very much, and uh, keep fighting the good fight, and Amir Tashem will have the best outcome that is possible. Amen. And, uh, together we'll be able to welcome uh, someday soon Mashiach Tzukein. Amen. Hashem guarantees it that we'll have the best outcome possible. Just sometimes it's painful getting there, that's all. That is correct. Thank you so much. All right, Stephen Przanski, of course, at one time the rabbi here in Congregation B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck, New Jersey, Vice President, Israel Region of the Coalition for Jewish Values and Senior Research Associate at the Jerusalem Center for Applied Policy, and uh, most importantly, someone who is articulate and sensible when it comes to issues like this, and boy, we need his voice now, and uh, other voices like his more than ever. More coming up. It is a Wednesday morning edition of JM. My thanks to Mayor Fertig for sitting in yesterday. What a schus, um, what a privilege to have the father of an Israeli reservist host this show yesterday. Just unbelievable, frankly. If, you, if you've been sitting in this chair for 40 years, see, it, it hits you that we had that opportunity. So I thank him very much. More coming up. It is a Wednesday Continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Continue to pray to God for him to send an effective strategy down to our leaders of how to rescue the hostages. Continue to plan any anything. Email Nahum at NahumSiegel.com. Anybody who's got my WhatsApp, text, anything. Let me know about any event going on today. Anything. Even if it's happening virtually. Anything. Let's publicize the rallies. Let's publicize the Tehillim gatherings. Let's publicize all the prayer vigils. Let's publicize everything. Get as many people there as possible. Encourage people to take videos and send them virally around the world. You know, there are people who have, and what a smart decision this was. There are people who are not watching any videos. They don't want their day ruined by the, you know, the, the sight of what the enemy has done and continues to do. So they need videos to watch. They need the positive ones. They need the incredible ones from the synagogues, from the Jewish organizations, from the schools. They need that. So let's make as many of them as possible and keep them busy with, uh, with positive messages and great videos like that. Uh, to those who are leaders in our elementary schools and high schools of all different backgrounds, please make all of this a priority in your schools and uh, utilize this opportunity to educate this generation about being active when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Israel and do whatever is possible, whether it is, in fact, some type of uh, collection event, whether it's um, some type of tefillah 
and Tehillim gathering, uh, whether it's some type of letter writing campaign. And I, I still think that these letter writing campaigns to local and federal officials are so important, especially these days when nobody's writing anything. I think it's important. And, and it could be email. It doesn't have to be real letters. I'm just using that expression of letter writing. But, um, you know, every kid who has an email account now has access to, to every senator in this country, every, you know, member of Congress that serves in their district, wherever they live. Let's educate them about how to find out who represents their areas and how to be in touch with them. And even local officials. Why shouldn't the mayors of the towns be aware that they have constituents who are concerned about Israel and that they should be making public statements about what's going on, these atrocities that Hamas is perpetrating? And any connection anybody has to, as I said, to the world of celebrity, what a disappointing category this has been. What a, and I confirm this now with more than one friend who has connections in the Hollywood world. What a disappointment. These Hollywood actors, these high-profile people who are out there for every stupid cause there is, and they don't say a word about what's going on in Israel, a, a word about these massacres and atrocities that they watched on video all through Shabbos until now. Not a word. It is really disheartening, especially those who are so, so, so uh, inclined to remind us that they're friends of the Jewish community. Pay careful attention to who is and who isn't saying what needs to be said right now. More coming up. It's Wednesday. It's JM in the AM. Oh 
We have, uh, like everybody else, we have a lot of relatives in the um, IDF and certainly in the reserves of the IDF. Like it seems every family who's connected to Israel has at this point. So, um, obviously we're in touch with the family now more than usual. And one of my family members in Israel has told me that the uh, schools in Israel are recommending that parents do everything possible to keep the younger children off of social media, which is obviously a good suggestion. And I saw that some of the schools in this area, meaning in the uh, on this side of the world, have uh, tried the same tactic. I hope it's effective. I don't know these days if it's even possible for children of a certain age not to see all these videos, not to be curious to watch them. But I thought it was an important reminder um, by leaders of schools on both sides of the world to encourage parents to do what's possible. Again, we know that, that most of this is impossible these days, but there are you know p- potential, potential ways to keep things um, certain things under wraps. Uh, and we certainly encourage people to do that whenever possible. And call a vote to the schools that are at least using the opportunity to emphasize the positive and to keep everything in the right perspective in terms of these atrocities that have occurred and continue to occur to our brothers and sisters. At least um, they're making a conscious effort to keep things in perspective and explain things in a responsible manner, and that's got to be encouraged and it's got to be recognized. It's Wednesday here at JMDA. My thanks to Mayor Furtick for sitting in yesterday. My thanks to Rory Przanski. We got off to quite an uh, important start this morning as we are featuring guests from Israel who have different perspectives about what's happening. Not different, meaning different, um, but meaning from different angles, you know, from different functions that they serve in Israel. I'm hoping Rabbi Tarragon's able to join us in the next few minutes. He's offered to be on the air, and he is, um, not only is he associated with the Yeshiva Dakotel, he really has his hand on the pulse of what's going on in the entire Yeshiva and seminary movement. That was one of the outgrowths of his involvement with Mizrahi and one of the outgrowths of his involvement with all the schools uh, during COVID. Uh, so hopefully we'll have an opportunity to speak with him. I've asked him, and it looks like he's uh, going to try to make the time. And we have other guests scheduled as well coming up here between now and 9 a.m. at JM. In the AM. Today's Wednesday, Yassi Zweig will conduct a live lunch beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. No doubt he'll have appropriate music for these times as we uh, continue to emphasize how important it is to gather together in every forum uh, possible to um, express solidarity for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Uh, Tikva, my niece, points out that her son, my great-nephew, is on his way to donate blood in my Gain David Adom, yet, yet another method for people who are either, quote-unquote, stuck in Israel or for people who are in Israel, kolakavod, 
Another way to help out is by donating blood. Um, uh, what do we have here? Jeff says, during these sad and hard times, we're fortunate to have our JMM to support each other, cry together, and pray together. I appreciate that. Many times I feel that way, that we have an opportunity to gather together every single day and to um, say some of the things that other people would not say and feel some of the things that many people are not feeling. And we get to do it together here at JM in the AM. One of the most disturbing things about this morning's news, in addition to everything that's going on, the Biden speech and the and the the possibility that Americans being held hostage and Americans being among the victims might encourage American officials to get more involved in their potential rescue and more involved in the in the war effort and collectivote to those in the uh, in Washington that have already responded in the affirmative apparently there have already been military uh, equipment deliveries to Israel um but in addition to all this and obviously we're so focused on the hostages who isn't and we are as as one of my relatives said to me this morning, how on earth are these families going to rebound from this? Meaning those families who've you know watched their relatives be butchered and their children be decapitated, how are they going to rebound from this? And we ask ourselves as as parents and as as human beings with relatives and with feelings, we ask ourselves the same question. But with all this that's going on now. Um, there is uh, there are there are reports about activity in the north. There are reports about uh, Hezbollah, which is armed to the hilt with missiles, with rockets. Uh, there are reports of activity in the north, and the potential for that to grow ever larger, and that makes things obviously even more complicated for our Israeli brethren, our leaders, and our members of the IDF. So we are uh, we are praying for the hostages, and we are praying that the families that we feel close to, even if we don't know them, are able to rebound from all this and are able to somehow repair their lives. But in the immediacy of what's going on, we also have a very, very dire situation with a full-scale war in the South, and God forbid the potential for something similar in the north. There's a lot to pray for. Let's make sure we do so. There's a lot to pray for. There's a lot of help that our brothers and sisters need. There are many, many funds that have been established. Make sure you're giving to efforts that are reputable. Um, that's something we always encourage. Call Akavod to those uh, groups and organizations and synagogues and schools that continue to... Uh, gather up clothing and equipment and essentials to send to Israel. Uh, the effort at the airports is amazing. Um, those who have been uh, those who have been coordinating all these um, duffel bags of equipment and uh, necessities to get to Israel, just remarkable. Let us know about all of them. I'm begging you, let us know so we can continue to publicize them. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. 
מטח כבד לדרום, התראה על חדירת קליטה עיסויין בניר עוז. במקביל, אזעקות באשקלון ואשדוד, באשקלון פגיעה ישירה בבניין. שני בני אדם נפצעו קל. מצטרף אלינו כתבנו בדרום, רמי שני. שלום לך, רמי. לפני זמן קצר התפוצצו שתי רקטות בסביבת בתי מגורים באשקלון. שרפה התלקחה באחד הבניינים כרגע. צוותים של לוחמי אש עוסקים בהשתלטות על הלהבות. צוותים של מגן דוד אדום פינו מהמקום שני נפגעים במצב קל, גבר בן 60 ואישה בשנות ה-40 לחייה. עד כאן. ראש מטה חיל האוויר, תת-אלוף עומר טישלר, אמר לפני זמן קצר לכתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש, הקש בגג הוא מונח לא רלוונטי, זה רלוונטי לסבבי לחימה, אנחנו במלחמה. איפה שיש אויב ואתה רוצה להרוג אותו, אתה לא עושה הקש בגג, אנחנו לא פועלים באופן כירורגי, אלא תוקפים באופן רחב מאוד, אבל לא מתפרעים. פועלים מדויק ומקצועי וחלילה לא תוקפים אוכלוסייה אזרחית. מאחורי כל תקיפה יש מטרה שמשמשת את חמאס ואנשיו. תקרית בגבול לבנון, חיזבאללה שיגר הבוקר טיל נ"ט לעבר עמדת צה"ל, בתגובה מטוסי חיל האוויר תקפו עמדות בלבנון. כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש מציין שהאזעקה שהייתה לפני כשעה בערב אל-עראמצ'ה הייתה אזעקת שווא, הופעלה בעקבות ירי של צה"ל. ראש מועצת מרום גליל, עמית סופר, סיפר לנורית קנטי בגלי צה"ל, 70% מהתושבים שמתגוררים צמוד לגדר עזבו את המקום. עוסקים כמובן מסביב לשעות בהעלאת המוכנות לכל תרחיש כדי באמת לתגבר את כל הפערים ואין ספק שיש כאלו, ישנם פערי מיגון, מקלוט שידועים לכולם ביישובים של 0-2 אני מעריך שכמעט 60-70 אחוז מהאוכלוסייה התפנתה 0-4 קצת פחות, אין כרגע איזושהי הוראה או צו לפינוי אופטימיות לקראת הסכמות על הקמת ממשלת חירום, ראש הממשלה נתניהו ויושב ראש המחנה הממלכתי גנץ נועדים קרוב לשלוש שעות, מדווח כתב התחום הפוליטי שחר גליק. נתניהו וגנץ נועדים בקריה מהשעה 11 ורבע, גורמים המעורבים בשיחות מביעים אופטימיות מהתמשכות השיחה לקראת סיכום סופי והכרזה על ממשלת אחדות בשעות הקרובות. על פי התכנון כרגע, גנץ ואייזנקוט ישבו בקבינט המלחמה המצומצם לצד ארבעה משרי הממשלה הנוכחית. נשיא טורקיה ארדואן תוקף את ישראל בעקבות התקיפות האוויריות ברצועת עזה ואומר ישראל צריכה להתנהג כמו מדינה, לא כמו ארגון, אחרת גודל מעמדה הבינלאומי יצטמצם. עוד הוא הוסיף, אנחנו נגד הרג אזרחים ישראלים, אבל גם מתנגדים לטבח של חפים מפשע בעזה על ידי הפצצות ישראליות. בדבריו הביאה כתבת חדשות החוץ, איה אילון. חשד לפיגוע ירי, הודעה שמגיעה עכשיו, ניסיון פיגוע ירי בכביש המנהרות בכניסה לירושלים. מחבל במקום מנוטרל, זה מה שחשוב. מזג האוויר, טמפרטורות תהיינה מעט נמוכות מהרגיל העונה. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד.
Wednesday morning, my thanks to Mayor Furtick for sitting in yesterday. What a kavod for us at JMNAM that the father of a an IDF reservist hosted yesterday's show. How fitting. How fitting. Wednesday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Our dear friend Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon is the dean of of overseas students at Yeshiva Dakotel. Many of you know that uh, Stacy and I have a son right now at Yeshiva Dakotel. Full disclosure. He's also educational director of the World Mizrahi Movement. As I mentioned earlier, by the way, Rabbi Tarragon's perspective on what's going on in the yeshivas and seminaries, in addition to what we'll speak, speak to him about, about the situation in general, is quite valuable because not only has uh, Rabbi Tarragon always been through Mizrahi and other efforts at the forefront of what's going on in all the yeshivas and seminaries in Israel. But you may recall that his efforts during COVID really um, played a role in him becoming a leader across the board uh, for yeshivas and seminaries of all backgrounds in Israel. So he's a good guest to feature this morning and any morning here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Tarragon, thanks so much for finding the time. Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Great to be with you here, Nachum, and of course, we're here with you at happy times, and we're all together as one people and the challenging ones as well. Uh, this may sound obvious to people like yourself, uh, but when I checked in with my son Sunday night, after the two days of uh, uh, not having definitive information about what was going on in Israel, um, he uh, described what the scene was like in Yeshiva, Shemini Atzeret, Shabbat morning, as... Um, as reservist after reservist, and we're talking about, you know, boys in their 20s, if that, uh, were being called up and how they would grab their stuff, get a bracha from their rebbe, and literally be driven or drive themselves to their unit. And I said to him, again, thinking like I would have 50 years ago when my oldest brother was in Jerusalem for the Yom Kippur War, I, I said to him, did you know any of these boys? After all, it's the beginning of the Zman, uh, etc. Have you gotten to know any of them? He says, do I know any of them? A good part of them were Americans who I know for quite a while. And it hit me. It hit me just how many parents and grandparents of these IDF reservists are right here in the diaspora, so different than years ago. So I think it's important to note that as um, isolated and secluded as we often feel, even when we're in Israel, because, you know, it's usually the Israelis and the native Israelis who have this responsibility during times like this. Rabbi Tarragon, you're Talmidim, those who 
emanate from the United States of America are a good portion of those who are serving right now. Nachum, I think you said a very important point over the years, Baruch Hashem, with the increased Aliyah from North America. And uh, there are many, many people, everyone has, has family and friends here in Israel, and everyone knows people and grandchildren and etc. And as opposed to 1973, where Aliyah was not as popular, not as popularized yet, that's not an alarm, just a car alarm going on here. Um, today, the Tzibu in America is much more connected personally to people in the land of Israel. We're always, we're always empathizing with them, but now I think people feel it more closely. And uh, I mean, that's a good thing that we feel more connected, but it's a more challenging thing as we feel you know, much more pain. Were you spending uh, Shemini Atzeret in Jerusalem or in a different city in Israel? I was in the yeshiva, Shemini Atzeret. And we began Shachris, and towards the end of Shachris, uh, the alarm sounded in Yerushalayim, and of course we went down to the bomb shelters. And throughout the day, on Simchas Torah, there were, there were alarms uh, that went off, uh, really the morning. I'm going to tell you a very sad thing, Nachum, which will just give you a sense of who we're dealing with. Um, so after Simchas Torah, the siren stopped, the missiles stopped uh, for a day and a half. Since then, there haven't been any missiles fired at uh, Jerusalem, with one exception. Two days ago, there was a Leviah of a lone soldier from England. Right. His last name was Young. Right. And they called on people to go to the Leviah, you know, to show respect. I did not allow the boys from Yeshiva Kotel to go. I'm not a Navi in any way, but this is what ended up happening. Hamas fired missiles at the Leviah. Um, that's the one time there were sirens in the last three days. And those were the videos uh, we saw. Cover. Right, those were the videos we saw of living people having to take cover next to Matsevas in a cemetery. That's correct. Um, I, there are no terms that can describe the bestiality of the people we're dealing with. Um, you know, comparing them to Nazis, you know, may do a disservice to the Nazis. Um, we're dealing with savages, people who not only have no respect for human life, but take pleasure in tormenting other people. Um, and, uh, okay, we need to know what we're dealing with. Yeah, I, I want to just say. It's something we can't relate to, but you're right. We need to know what we're dealing with. What you just said is correct. Because we can't relate to it, we make the mistake of not realizing what we're up to. Right. Against. against right. One of the problems Israel and the West has faced in dealing with much of the Arab world is not understanding who they're dealing with. Obviously, we don't want to generalize. There are many fine Muslim and Arab people and uh, leaders, but there are many who, are, who act like savages. Yeah. And when you live in this kind of neighborhood, you have to realize what you're dealing with and Hopefully, more people will start understanding that so we can deal with what we need to deal with in the neighborhood we live with. But I want to go back to something you began with in your opener. Obviously, there are challenging things going on in the south. There are smaller challenges in the north. But in Yerushalayim and in central Israel, which is hundreds of miles away from these places, there's nothing going on. And there are no warnings of anything going on. And you walk the streets of Yerushalayim, not just Yerushalayim, I just happen to know Yerushalayim. You don't feel anything. You don't see anything. Obviously, police are out in full force to be extra careful. Well, just to, and just, to, just, just to clarify, though, you, you do feel somewhat of a loneliness, right? I mean, the streets are generally empty in the old city, I would suspect. I, I meant security-wise, right. you don't feel right. a threat. Right. You don't Understood. feel a threat. Right. The streets are much more empty because people are in the army and not going to work. Uh, the schools are closed because right. they, the teachers, many of them are, you know, teaching. And the and store owners, the store owners are in reserve duty. 
Many of them. Many stores are having challenges, you know, right. uh, figuring out how to get things out, etc. So yes, the streets are less full, but you don't feel a threat. Yeah, That's the point I'm making. Yeah. You know, for parents, I just had a Zoom with parents well, last night. It's hard when you're thousands of miles away right. and you're seeing what you're seeing to be terrified. Right. But what I, the message I want to give to parents is there are no warnings here. And again, the schools are being very, very vigilant with right. the students. There's really nothing to worry about. Okay. I mean, again, we never know, well, get, but let, there's nothing to worry but about. But let's, let's backtrack on this for a moment. I'm so glad you, you, we've already drifted into this area. It's obviously one of the reasons we wanted to speak to you. Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon with us live via telephone. Um, neither you nor I, I would suspect, are going to sit in either of our positions and advise parents one way or the other, right? I mean, if someone is dead set that their child must come back from Israel, I can't imagine you would interfere with that decision. And, and, and of course, if someone is dead set that, you know, my son or daughter is not leaving Israel, I'm sure you would encourage that decision or do whatever you could to support that decision. All that having been said, it, it, for instance, the session you described last night, are you giving advice about how to handle the situation? Would you say it differently to a parent body that has students in other areas of Israel? How would you evaluate it? So yes, this is obviously a very important question and everything you said is your opener. I agree people have to make their own decisions, responsible adults, parents, and their children. Our job in the Yeshiva and Seminary is to give people the facts and help them understand what's going on and what we anticipate. I can't speak about things outside of Yerushalayim. I'm not familiar. I'm not there. But I can definitely speak about what's going on in Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim, there's a calm, obviously a sadness, but a calm. There are no warnings. The police have not asked us to take special precautions, though we are taking special precautions. Frankly, it reminds me a lot of what happened when I was a teenager, and many of the parents today were teenagers in the Gulf War, right. when it broke out and people didn't know what to do. Should they go back? Should they stay? And uh, frankly, the dangers then were 100 times greater than today, right. because the country was going to fire missiles at a country that had barely any defenses, Patriot missiles. They barely, you know, they didn't have an Iron Dome. And there was a fear, if you remember, of chemical warfare. Sure. Uh, which Baruch Hashem didn't happen. Today, the missile attacks, Baruch Hashem, because of the Iron Dome, it's a totally different story. And, you know, we as parents that age, I have three children in the army right now, so I'm a parent that age. We, as parents, we remember what it was as the kids during our year of being here and the frustration if we had to go. And the fact that those who stayed, I think it was a, a life-building experience for them. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg put out a powerful video about this yesterday. Um, I'm sure you can find it on his pages. It's also on my Facebook page where he said, we respect anyone who decides to go and should be and you have nothing to feel bad about. But those who decide to stay, it will be a life building experience for you and be something that gives strength to the state of Israel, its people and its soldiers. Now I see that people are standing together. There's nothing like that in showing the support you have for each other. Now, I would suspect, Rabbi Tarragon, that even if there were police warnings and even if there were intelligence reports that encouraged additional security and, you know, and, and, and serious contemplation about what to do with foreign students, I still would have to imagine that you would be uh, acting in a way that would encourage, again, not trying to convince people, but in a way to encourage the comfort of your foreign students to stay in yeshiva. If there were chas v'shalom warnings, and I or other yeshiva and seminary heads felt that our students are in danger, we would never 
allow them to be in that kind of situation. These are our children. We know they're other people's children, but we feel the same way towards them. Every one of these Talmudim are our children. But if one of those, if Tal- felt- but if one of those Talmudim in that situation expressed that they're not leaving, you would do everything possible to keep them safe, whether it meant keeping them in Jerusalem or not. Oh, if a boy decided to stay when he was in danger, yeah. we would, of course, right. you know, want to help him if he, if for sure. But what I was saying was, if the recommendations were for him to leave, right, we would do everything we could to get him to leave. Uh, the recommendations are very far from it. Naturally, people are afraid. People ask me, what happens if Yerushalayim is cut off from the world? This is not 1948. Right. There's no fear of Yerushalayim being laid siege to. Baruch Hashem, Israel is a very strong country, both physically and spiritually, and we're seeing the spiritual strength now in the response. Um, they were taken by surprise for a short amount of period by a group of terrorists in the way, way in the south. Um, there's no fears of Yerushalayim. It, it, it sounds comical being laid siege to right. and being cut off from the world and uh, needing dry goods and to dig wells. No, it's under, not 1948. Uh, I, under, it's not 1963. Right. And, uh, Are you getting the idea? Look, even though you, you claim to not be that familiar with what's going on outside of Jerusalem, I, I still suspect, knowing knowing the positions that you hold, that you're somewhat in touch with leaders of seminaries and yeshivot outside of Jerusalem. Would you Would you agree, based on your... Again, you have to have a really good memory to, to answer this question. I have a feeling you do have a good memory. Am I right that it seems that a much larger percentage of the young men and women are staying compared to the early 90s and the Gulf War? Let me relate to both the beginning and the second part of your question. The reason I don't want to speak about outside of Yerushalayim is that I'm not there. Uh, meaning I'm here and I know what's going on in Yerushalayim. My sense is, though, that the other places where the yeshiva and seminaries are are also taking care of the boys and girls and that they are well and safe and happy and confident. That is my impression. I'm just not there firsthand. No, I understand. As far as your second part. Go ahead. I'm sorry. As far as the second part of your question, you're 100% correct. Machal. Did we lose you? Are you there, Rabbi? Rabbi Tarragon is reconnecting with us, and hopefully he'll be able to uh, to address this. The popular uh, there we are. go. Start, start again. You got you got cut off. Start oh, start again with. Sorry, this, sorry about that. From the second part. The second part of the, the second part of the question. You're 100 percent correct. Uh, in our day, when we were students, there were very few doing machal. Today, there are hundreds every year. Right. Um, it's very very popular. And uh, it's part of people feeling more connected to the state of Israel and also feeling like it's more realistic to make Aliyah. Aliyah today is not what it was 20 and 30 years ago. Right. Um, so, yes, it's definitely more popular. And Nahum, I don't know how much time you have, but there's a whole other topic we haven't even begun to speak about, which in my mind may be less relevant to the parents, but it's a critical one for us to discuss. And that's what's going on with our soldiers. Yeah, and we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. It's the second thing on my uh, the final two things I want to talk about. But first, just for a moment, um, your students, th- this decision to immediately after Shemini Atzeres to reopen the yeshiva and start what we call the Choref Zman, the winter period of time of Torah study. Was this a, an independent decision by Yeshiva Akotel? Did all of the yeshiva and seminaries take this approach? Did the, did the yeshivas led by the Haredi leaders of Israel, did they also open their yeshivas right away? What was the action right after this war started? It's an excellent question, Nachum. So I'll start from Yeshiva Dakota and then try and expand beyond it. Simchas Torah night, right afterwards, 
Matzei Shabbos, while it was still Yom Tif for you, we had a Rebbe's meeting right after Yom Tif uh, with the Rosh Hashiva. It was a two-hour meeting to talk over all the considerations and what we needed to do. And obviously, everyone was feeling pain over what they're dealing with, but we knew our responsibility is to take care of our boys. And we decided already, Matzei Shabbos, that we were going to be opening right away before there was any broader decision. Right. The next day, Gedoli Yisrael, many Gedoli Yisrael came out and asked Yeshivas to do this. So our decision was independent, but it was in line with what came out afterwards. Um, I think most of the American, if not all of the American schools, opened on some way or another right away, mainly because you have the students, they can't and shouldn't be going elsewhere, right. so they're with you, so you, you know, you're going to teach them. Now again, whether it's a Fischelsmann or whether it's a Priesmann or a special program, there were schools maybe that had to limb plan, which you know obviously got canceled. Right. So I think, to the best of my knowledge, everybody has their students, you know, in the building and are working with them, um, if, if only because there's no, nowhere else for them to be. Right. From Shivata Koto's perspective, I can say it wasn't just that; it was a feeling that this is what we should be doing. And we should be strengthening the soldiers by learning and davening for them. And we have a number of very exciting programs that we do that. And if I was, uh, if I was in B'nai Brak or in Geula today, chances are those yeshivas would be open at this point. Officially, Gedoli Israel called for everyone to be open. Right. Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon is with us from Israel. Um, and, and before we talk about the soldiers, and obviously it's, it's vital and we will in a moment, um, what, what approach are you using now with the American students, including our own son, who's in the yeshiva? Obviously, you're encouraging Torah study. I don't know, by the way, if... if um, has the reserve duty affected the number of Rabbeim you now have in yeshiva? Is that a problem across the board that so many Rabbeim might be now having reported to the army or not? It's an excellent question, Nachum. Um, every Israeli citizen does the army. Even people who come from America make Aliyah, they do the army. Right. Uh, one of our Rabbeim, one of our American Rabbeim was drafted. Uh, obviously, a few of our Israeli Rabbeim were drafted. Um, and we've found replacements for them. Right. Uh, a young man from uh, the Five Towns, who I'm sure many of your listeners know, Rabbi Josh Fagan. Sure. A uh, son of uh, and grandson Alan Fagan, etc., sure. is here for Sukkot, and he stayed on to teach Shir. Wow. In place Kala of one Kala. of our Rebbeim who was drafted. Kala Kala. And we have alumni who were here for Sukkot, who we asked to stay on and help as staff members. You know, we've, we've heard of doctors who were asked by the Israeli government to stay in, the, in Israel after Sukkot to volunteer. I never thought of the angle of Rabbeim staying, which is remarkable. It's wonderful. We have to remind ourselves that what gives us strength as a people is our Torah and our tefillah. And our chesed. And even though we do our ishtadlis and we have an army, the Gemara and Mako stuff tells us that what gives the legs of the soldiers strength to stand is the learning in the Shari Yerushalayim, yeah, language no of the Gemara. And it's chilling for us. And that, that's, when we know. notify the soldiers that yeah. we were open, I can't tell you how many messages I got from them. Oh, Thank you so imagine. much. And just and the videos we see of the tzitzis distribution, fill-in, and I, I mean, we could talk for hours about, about the chesed that's being done to assist the soldiers. And, but, and, and again, uh, students like, like uh, our son, uh, obviously they're being instructed and encouraged to continue their regular day in Torah study, but I would have to assume that the avira, the atmosphere, has been so affected that the American students also have, uh, they, they must feel enveloped by the whole situation, even if they're not serving. It's an excellent, it's an excellent question, Nachum. We have to strike a delicate balance between trying to get them back into a routine, which is critical when things like, when the world is crazy around you, you have to have a routine where you're focused on meaningful things. Right. And frankly, 
we want them doing that and not looking at the internet with the terrible, terrible things that people who are on the internet know what I'm referring to. Sure. So we don't want them to get sucked into that. We want them to build their routine, continue developing themselves. That having been said, obviously, we're talking to them and connecting them to the situation. We have three slots a day. One, I meet with them each day and give updates and talk about feelings, etc. The Rosh Hashiva after Mincha gives a Sicha. And each day we have a beautiful thing. Each one of our boys is connected to one of our Chayalim. He has his picture and his WhatsApp number. He communicates with him and helps him with whatever the boy needs. And every day when the Chayal can, at 6.45, they learn a Chavrusa. If the Chayal can't, so then the boy in Shiva learns for the Chayal. At 7.15 p.m. each day, we have a Zoom where the Chayalim who are at the front lines give Divrei Torah to our boys in Yeshiva. Uh, our parents and alumni are invited to join that Zoom. If people want outsiders can join the Zoom as well. It's our way of strengthening ourselves while we strengthen them and reinforcing for them their sense that Am Yisrael is behind them. And, and, gap, and, the, gap, and gap your parents have to be reminded that as, as fragile as they may think they are, they don't understand sometimes the uh, the physical and mental uh, uh, capacities, uh, resilience that our young men and women have. Nachum, that's an excellent point. Situations like this are ones that can shrink someone or build someone. And if a person has the guidance of how to respond properly, there's obviously we don't look for these kind of situations, but there's no better way for a person to build strength and fortitude for life. Yeah. It's a shame that they're being exposed to this kind of thing, but if it's dealt with properly and we're doing our best, it will strengthen them. And I wanted to just add, yeah. again, there's a lot of initiatives being taken. Correct. Let's get we to have it, a thing through Yeshivata Kotel, right. personally, where we've channeled funds from parents and alumni through a whole system that's delivering to each soldier what they need in each place. Uh, and that makes everyone feel, the people in Chutzlaretz feel like they can help people from their institution and people in Israel feeling like the people are behind them. But the broader issue, and this is a very significant issue and there's a lot of inclarity about it. This is actually why I reached out to you because this is the most important thing to clarify. Anyone who's on social media is being bombarded by requests for help. Right. The soldiers need vests. The soldiers. Uh, Rabbi Tarragon is with us and he is, Reconnecting with us, uh, no doubt, and we'll get his. To this. Okay, so you got to start again. We got we got disconnected. Or by Tarragon, you started with the vests. People are asking for vests. What else? Just saying that anyone who's on social media, right, or an email, is right. being bombarded, Correct. with requests, Correct. for the soldiers. Correct. They need protective vests. They need helmets. They need gloves. They need mattresses. They need socks. They need underwear. They need soap. They need medicine. And people are wondering, where's the Israeli army and the government? And the army has issued statements. Uh, saying everything is covered. I want people to understand what's going on and why. The army has in its reserve stockpiles uh, provisions for 10,000 reservists, which is you know what you assume you would bring up. The army has drafted more than 100,000 reservists. Um, they don't have what to cover, and I'm not putting down the army. Obviously, you have budgetary concerns and what you buy and what you assume and what you stage. Right. But I want to let people know from personal conversations that I have had with hundreds of soldiers that what you're hearing is absolutely true about what they're missing. And there are tzaddikim like Rav Yosef Tzvi he's not the only one, he's just the one I know best, who are spending all day on the Gaza border, going from unit to unit, seeing what their needs are and trying to address them. One of the things that's most important and most missing are ceramic protective vests. 
yesterday, someone gave me a donation for every Ramon, 40,000 shekel. I took it to him. He told me a story, which I hope your listeners are ready to hear. It tells you who Evrimon is and what the situation is. He told me he found a supplier in Israel who can make vests. They cost 2,800 shekel apiece, um, and he can make 500. It's a million and a half shekel. Right. Evrimon on the spot said to him, please order them for me. The guy said, I will, but I need a down payment for materials of 500,000. Evrimon said, I don't have 500,000. He goes, look, I can't buy the materials. Rev. Ramon told me he went to the bank, took out a personal loan on his name for 500,000 shekel, gave it to the person and said, make me the vest. When I came to Rev. Ramon last night, he said, I need to pick them up tomorrow. I only, you know, I only have the 40,000 you're giving me now. I went out from there last night and put on social media a request from Rev. Ramon uh, for the vests. Um, within three hours, we raised 2 million shekel uh, to cover the vests. I called, there's one group of donors who asked to remain anonymous uh, you know who you are, who said they want to pay for the whole thing. I called up every morning and I said, okay, so should we call off the campaign? He goes, you have no idea how many vests are needed. He goes, I'm going to order another 500 now. Everyone who donates towards the vests, he goes and starts ordering right away, right afterwards. Now that he's dealt with that, he's dealing with helmets, he's dealing with gloves. Yesterday it began raining on the Gaza border. The boys went down with their summer clothing. It's not raining and cold. They have no tents. They don't have warm clothing. There are no heaters. Rev. Ramon is putting together suggestions, recommendations, proposals for all of those things now. How we can fill in. The Army is wonderful. They do their best. Our boys from Yeshiva Dakota are sleeping on the floor. Imagine how a boy can fight after sleeping on the floor for a week and what his morale is. So there are wonderful tzaddikim like Rev. Ramon and other people in Israel who are trying to fill in these needs, whether it's mattresses, whether it's, or whether it's just to make the soldier feel a little bit better. Yep. Um, in any case, Obviously, there's a lot of different groups and you have to know who you're giving your money to and you have to be careful, but you should know there are genuine, real needs of our children. And again, all these boys are all of our children who are out there for us, who we need to do our best to, 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 to protect. And you know what I felt after the terrible thing that happened on Shemini Atzeret is after losing such life, so many lives in such a terrible way, we have to do our best to protect lives in whatever way we can. Uh, and we see how precious every Jewish life is from the reaction of the Jewish people to this. Rabbi Tarragon, I, I cannot thank you enough. And, and, and a personal favor, uh, I, I've tried to reach out to uh, Rav Daron's family, his family, not to go into detail on the air, but his family is among those families that are most affected right now by this situation. Uh, I think anybody who can read between the lines knows what I mean. Please convey our best. Let him know that we are praying for him and his entire family and uh and that, uh, and and in general, in general, our brothers and sisters in Israel need to know that there has been a tremendous awakening among American Jews, religious and secular alike. And uh, all we want to do is help and pray and and keep the the uh, the fate of our Jewish brothers and sisters at the forefront uh, during these times. Please convey that message to as many people as you can. Thank you very much, Nachum. And I will, in your Hashem, relate to Rav Daron and his family, and the chizuk is greatly appreciated. Let me just conclude with one last point, which is, I don't know if people saw the beginning of the week, Mizrahi, World Mizrahi did a world tefillah and yeah. chizuk program. Yeah. That was very special. There have been tens of thousands of people who viewed it. You can find it online. Right. And I just want to tell people that right now we're dealing with, you know, uh, solving the problem, dealing with the immediate needs but there's going to be a Mir Tashem, a very special consolation program coming out of Israel, coming out of World Mizrahi, that will Mir Tashem bring the world together and give us a little bit of consolation for what we're suffering too. So keep your eyes out on the space because uh, things are in the works. Oh, I appreciate that, and I hope you'll join us to uh, remind people about it as we get closer. 
I would have talked to you about the Tefillah program, but everything had to be arranged before Yantav was over in America. And that was part of the strange thing too. We couldn't communicate with anyone in America and had to respond and deal with things the best we could. Uh, understood. Uh, best regards, especially if you see a, uh, a very tall young man who looks like me, send them our best. Very fine fellow. We're lucky to have him, and we look forward to seeing you when you're able to visit soon, Amir Tasha. Oh, I'll tell you one last thing, Nachum. Sure. It's been posted online. Someone from Israel called up United Airlines to try and book a flight to America. They were speaking to, I think, an African-American woman operator, and they said to the operator, look, I assume you're getting a lot of requests you know, to fly you know, on this route. She goes, yeah, we can't handle the amount of requests to fly to Israel. <laughs> and that was posted by our dear, by our dear friend, Isaac Heller, who was a member of the Mizrahi on the Lower East Side for many years before moving with his family yeah. to Yerushalayim. So we take great pride that, that <laughs> I, I, Isaac was the one who told the world about that incredible statement by that uh, airline official. Thank you so much. And do you my, know about yeah. the Google aspect? See, go ahead. If you go online and you Google flights to the sentence will complete itself israel amazing <laughs> not new york not london like that paris oh that, the that, thing being that, searched that, for most today that must flights be, to israel that must be killing some of the google executives <laughs> come on, come the truth on. is there was recently a post about google and what's going on now and realization a lot of people are coming around and hopefully they'll remain you know with a an understanding of what's going on here call a voter by tarragon thank you so much we should share news of good health, simcha and nachat, and may the coming together of the Jewish people that's being felt in this day continue beyond and in directions where we can be metakin what was going on before. Amen v'amen. Thank you. Rabbi Ruven Tarragon, he is the uh, director of the overseas program at Yeshiva Dakoto, which our family has been a beneficiary of for uh, many, many years at this point. Educational Director of the World Mizrahi Movement. My thanks to Mayor Furtick for sitting in yesterday. What a kavod for me and for this audience that the father of an IDF reservist hosted this show yesterday. That entire concept is not lost on any of us. A drop late for Rabbi Goldwasser, his words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebin Rehosevalevi and Zechonishmas Esther Basri Rehosevalevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. We say every day in Shemona Esrei, to Yerushalayim, your holy city, may we with great mercy be returned. And the divine presence in Klal Yisrael should dwell there. And rebuild Yerushalayim. We see here, says the Marsha, that there are three requests in this particular bracha. Because la'asid lavai, in the future, Yerushalayim will have three sections. One, Keneged, the first Beis Hamikdash that was destroyed. The second, the second Beis Hamikdash that was destroyed. And the third, the Beis Hamikdash Asid, that Beis Hamikdash that will be rebuilt in the future. We see that in truth, when we say the Bracha Yerushalayim Ercha, we have in mind all of these phases all of the Bote Mikdash and our future hope for the Gula Shalema. It's interesting that the great Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, he sold everything that he had. He gave away everything in order to just go one time to Eretz Yisrael. He took together with him his Gabai. Both of them boarded the ship. However, they didn't have enough money to make the entire trip, and the captain 
wanted that they should leave at the point where they no longer had any money and not fulfilled their lifelong desire to go to Eretz Yisrael. Finally, Rav Nachman made a deal that the great Sadik was able to stay on the ship only if he would swap the decks, he would clean, he would help with all the technical and the manual running of the ship. Finally, after great hardship, they made it to Eretz Yisrael. When Reb Nossin saw that Reb Nachman got off the boat and started to walk on the Holy Land, he saw that he was measuring his steps. After he walked Dalet Amos, he said to Reb Nossin, I have now fulfilled my tafkin in life. We can return. Reb Nossin said, That's all. Reb Nachman said, Okay, if you want, we can stay here but I've already fulfilled my purpose in life. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day.
Wednesday morning broadcast. Again, I reiterate, I reiterate what kind of kavoda was for me and for us to have the father of an IDF reservist, our very own Mayor Furtick, host yesterday's show, and I thank him. It's the 11th of September, day number 26 in the month of Tishrei, and even though Rosh Chodesh is this coming Sunday, kalakavot to all the yeshivot around the world that have begun their Zman the moment uh, Shemini Atzeret, or in our case in Chutzlaret, Simchas Torah ended. Kalakavod. And um, we continue to feature guests who are in Israel. Uh, our good friend Shmuel Sackett, who we haven't spoken to in quite a while, he was scheduled to be with us today to discuss a, a special program that he's doing, a, an actual raffle. Uh, and I said to him earlier this morning, I said, I'm going to invite him back. Uh, in the next week or two, and we'll get into details about this uh, big raffle that he's holding and a campaign that they're doing. Uh, but today we've got to concentrate on what's going on in Aretz, and obviously he agreed 100%, and he's always eloquent and articulate when it comes to the situation in Israel. He is the founder and executive director of the Am Yisrael Chai Foundation. He is based in Israel. He is a local boy from the New York, New Jersey area, and uh, when you think about the role that he's had, and we'll discuss that in a moment over the last few decades, uh, he has seen it all at this point, at least at least has seen what uh, any Ole from uh, the United States to Israel over the last few decades uh, has seen up close and personal. Shmuel Sackett, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, but I wish I would have uh, been coming on you know, better uh, for better reasons, but uh, it's always a, a pleasure to be on your show now. I appreciate that. And boy, I wish it was better reasons as well. And f- the fact is we, we originally scheduled you for better reasons, but as I said, you are more than invited back in the next few days and we'll get into all the things that you're doing as a foundation. Uh, but today through fate, because we, we had you scheduled, not that there's any coincidence, uh, as I always say, the one above is the best radio producer. We get an opportunity to uh, speak with you about the situation in Israel. Shmuel, uh, what, what do I mean? What does my audience think when, I, when they hear me say that you've seen it all over the last few decades? You, you were at the forefront of a movement decades ago to stop the Oslo Accords. And just recently, last month, we celebrated, quote unquote, the 30th anniversary of the Oslo Accords. I will begin this conversation, Shmuel. I hope you don't mind answering a rhetorical question. Uh, it's 30 years since Oslo. How did that work out? And and on top of that, it's, uh, what is it now, 18 years? 
It's 18 years since the Gaza disengagement. Shmuel Sackett, how did that work out? So they always tell you, Nachum, that in the world of shalom bias, it's never good to say, I told you so. Yeah. Right? That never works out well between yeah. a husband and wife, between brothers, sisters, business partners, neighbors, two guys in shul. It just never works out. I told you so. And certainly in this case, the last thing that I want to do is get a yashikoach for being right. When we screamed and yelled, Im yeah. If the IDF pulls out of these areas, such as the Gaza Strip, who do you think is going to take their place? Girl Scouts selling cookies? We told them what was going to happen. We told them exactly that terrorists would take the place. They would use Gush Katif, the beautiful area where the homes and fields and the bunk three vegetables and the flowers were being grown and sold from. And they would use that as launching pads uh, into Israel proper. I mean, that's also Israel, but you know what I mean? Yep. And everybody said, well, uh, that's not true. Why are you being so... You know, uh, uh, pessimistic. <laughs> while you, while you, while you were asked, while you were asking, why are you being so delusional? By the way, Shmuel, you got to do us a favor for a moment. And I know that there's a lot to talk about because Israel's at war, and obviously there's a lot of immediate, you know, discussion that needs to be had. But just for a moment, you spend countless days and weeks, if not more. In the Gaza Strip before the disengagement of 2005, could you give us yet yet a, a further description of what these shuls, communities, homes, playgrounds, beaches were like when there were Jewish communities in Gaza? It is a... It is. It was a beautiful area, something like I have never seen before. And when I tell people that uh, that the area of the Gaza Strip, as they call it, has potential to be the to Israel's Miami Beach. They think I'm I'm joking. I am not. It is right on the beach. The sand is white. It is beautiful. It is clean. And it has such wonderful, wonderful air and such potential. The, the children down there that, that live there and the communities, again, the breakthrough technology that they had in farming with the bug-free vegetables. I remember growing up, my father, blessed memory, and I would spend what seemed like hours on end shanking the fashtunkin lettuce on Erev Pesach, you know, looking <laughs> and holding it up to the light and by, oh my gosh, and, uh, you know, and all these things. And then came this technology of the bug-free vegetables. And all of that was, was Gush Katif. All coming so, out of and, that and, area. And, and, yeah, and when, they, and, when they, and when they gave it away, for what? We were screaming and we were yelling. And the leftists said, give, give peace a chance. Well, and you know, in, 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 the, in the day or two after the disengagement, we saw how civilized they were. We left these synagogues uh, as beautiful buildings. And, of course, uh, their first act was to make sure to destroy them and to, and to uh, de- desecrate them as best as possible. So I guess that was an early indication of where things were going, frankly. Correct. But, you know, I, I'm a guy who, 
uh, failed the class on political correctness. I have to miss that day or that week, you yeah. know, in, in, in my school when they taught that those lessons. And there was a guy in here in my in my community where I live, and everybody's all upset with what's happening. And he came to me and said, Shmuel, how can this be happening? And I looked at him and I said, one second, you supported the Gaza disengagement plan, the expulsion of 10,000 Jews, yeah. right? You supported that. He said, yes, I did. <laughs> well, that's I your said, answer. So then there's blood on your hands. <laughs> of course. There's blood on your hands. Shmuel Sackett is with us live from Israel. All right, let's, let's talk about what's going on now. Um, first of all, you, you, among others, um, did whatever you could for the families that were displaced 18 years ago. And obviously they can never return to their communities. Uh, obviously the circumstances are very different. I'm not trying to equalize the, the, the circumstances, but it's obvious that there are now going to be hundreds and hundreds of families that are going to have a very, very difficult time, if at all possible, to recover from what has happened. Uh, those who uh, lived in Kibbutzim, where a large significant of the population has been murdered, uh, they're obviously, not, I can't imagine they'd ever return to that area of Israel. That's speculation on my part, but uh, we know how human beings work. It would be very difficult for them to do that. Uh, I mean, how on earth, as you watch what's going on, do you consider how these families are going to possibly recover from what has happened? I think we're jumping the gun, Nahum, and that is we need to discuss a lot of things, such as how we're going to return and who fell asleep at the wheel in terms of the Israeli intelligence and all these things. But right now, the focus, 100% of our focus, Nahum, has to be on uh, taking revenge on our enemies through the IDF, the holy soldiers of the of Tzahal, the messengers of uh, Hashem himself and making sure that we destroy the Hamas and every one of their supporters. This is something we need to focus on now. We have Chayalim on the border, uh, in, w going into Gaza. My son is in the war effort. Uh, my son-in-law, over 100 close friends, children and grandchildren, everybody. There isn't a person here who's not there represented in some way. So that's the focus. There's a lot of questions. But right now we need to pray. We need to support. We need to defend. And we need to encourage and positively motivate all of the holy chayalim and chayalot that are, will be Bezrat Hashem exacting a revenge, the likes of which this world has never seen before. And that is where all of our strength has to be. And we should, and we should reiterate, or we should emphasize, uh, that the reason you're using such strong language is, language is because our tradition and our Torah instructs us to do that. Uh, correct? I mean, this is you use the term revenge, which is resentful to a lot of people. This is what we are instructed to do when an enemy like this uh, goes ahead and acts the way they have. Right. So first of all, uh, two things need to be clarified. Number one, I keep saying and reiterating that it is the army that needs to take the revenge. We're not talking about personal individuals right. going to do something crazy. That's number one. And, right. the, and, the, and the soldier has the authority of the government behind them and so on. And the second thing is we need to start believing in what we have been praying. We just finished the whole, you know, Russia Shana season. And one of the prayers that we said several times was the Avinu Malkenu prayer. And in Avinu Malkenu, we pray for life and a and health. 
We also prayed, Avinu Malkeinu, Mikom Le'enenu, Nikmat Dam Avadecha Shafuch. May we, may we exact vengeance, and, from, and may we see it with our eyes, because it's something we need to know that it has been done, and Bezrat Hashem, the, uh, the Chayalim, will do exactly that. Shmuel Sackett is with us at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world of web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, you mentioned you have relatives, as everybody does, serving in the Army. I'm proud to say that now there are a lot of American parents and grandparents that have uh, uh, children and grandchildren serving right now, uh, which is something that was not the case decades back, as you remember. Um, uh, you mentioned prayer. You mentioned uh, the support for our soldiers, obviously. Uh, what are some of the things that are going on uh, to support the soldiers? What are some of the things, activities that you and other Israelis at this point are involved with to get supplies to them, to give them what's necessary, to give them chizuk? What is happening in Israel? So um, Saturday night, you know, most of Shabbos, the, the whole story here broke on Shabbos morning. It started mm-hmm. about 6.30. Of course, nobody knew anything. We were at a show here in Israel. Uh, you know, Shemini Atherit in Simcha Torah is one day. And I went to show, you know, happy as a little kid in a, in a candy shop. You know, it's in Chustora. This is the number one day of the year. Yeah. And the happiest moment. And I'm sitting and show happiness can be. And then, of course, slowly but surely, people start coming in and uh, telling bits and pieces. And the whole thing unfolded, as I'm sure happened uh, wherever your listeners are located as yeah. well. And uh, Motsi Shabbos, you know, calling everybody, make sure the kids and grandkids are okay and where's everybody and at about 10.30 at night, I uh, texted, I have a very good friend, Aviram, who lives in Steyrot. And he doesn't just live there. He is part of the uh, ambulance force, and he's always involved in these things. And I just wrote him a few words. I, I, I didn't want to start getting into the whole story. I, I wrote him, how can I help you? That's all I wrote. How can I, exactly what you said now. How can I help you? Uh, here I am. How can I help you? And he wrote back. It took an hour and a half since I back. He says, Shmuel, since 12 o'clock today, that means Shabbos 12 o'clock in the afternoon, Israel time. He says, I've been collecting bodies. Many are my friends. And uh, we are uh, also... Um, uh, you know, dealing with, with seriously wounded. And he said to me that here in Steyro, they're under fire. There is not even one bulletproof ambulance. They don't have a bulletproof ambulance. They're driving through uh, blazes of, of uh, bullets and uh, Kassam rockets are falling. And they don't have an armored vehicle. As a matter of fact, even today, today, four houses in Steyro took a direct hit from Kassam rockets. So I said to him, uh, let me see what I can do. On Sunday, I spoke to the uh, um, ar- the armored division and they deal with ambulances. And uh, it's only $350,000 for a brand new, fully equipped ambulance that is bulletproof and that is armored. And I said to them, buy it. They said, what do you mean buy it? Who's, who's paying for it? I said, I'll take care of it. I, I, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And I wired them. $40,000 as a wire transfer, as a deposit. And I said, start outfitting this ambulance, get it to the residents of Steyrot. And I went out to the people. I said, listen, this is what we need to do. 
to as as an example, there are other things too. But as an example, I reach out to everybody and take as big or small of a part of this as you can. I'm Yisrael Chai.com. That's all you have to do. I'm Yisrael Chai.com, and there's this page, the Stay Road Bulletproof um, uh, Armored Ambulance. Zero expenses are taken, zero commissions, zero money is d- deducted. Every penny that is raised will be put towards buying this ambulance. And that is one example of what can be done. There are other things. You just have to be careful about people that are raising money who don't have as long of a uh, reputation as, as some good organizations. But there's Zaka, and there's Hatsala. And there's some wonderful, wonderful things. This is what we need to do to help out with our bodies, with all of your soul, with all of your resources, whatever you can do. Amisochain.com, help us buy a bulletproof armored vehicle for the residents of Stero. All right, that's a, a great recommendation. I want to make it clear to our listeners who are likely spelling Yisrael with an A, that the website is amyisroelchai.com, A-M-Y-I-S-R-O-E-L-Chai.com. So if you're looking for it again, amyisroelchai.com, amyisroelchai.com. I actually was, uh, I mentioned this on Monday on the air that, uh, you know, this audience is so familiar with Stay Road. I mean, obviously there are so many towns and cities that have been affected. I mean, the, the list is endless and we know that. Uh, but Steyrot has a very active uh, religious community. Steyrot has a very active yeshiva. Steyrot is one of those cities that we've broadcasted from and that we feel very close to. And, and it felt to us like we weren't getting information from there. But we, I have to assume, as you discovered, that the the carnage uh, extended there like everywhere else in that area of Israel. And that they're suffering terribly over there. They are. There was gun battles there. You'd think it's you know it was the middle of a, a battlefield. The whole State Road Police Department had to be blown up because they were, I don't know how many dozens of terrorists that were holed up there in the State Road Police Department. Well, they're not there anymore because the building is not there anymore. Right. They literally uh, uh, exploded. Whatever called the whole that whole building, and hundreds wounded lying in the street. It just. What can I say? It's you know, I have to admit that I, I just can't get my my head around this Nachum. It's just it's just something that is surreal. Yeah. It's something that we can't uh, we can't understand. But but I, I was told everybody we, we cannot right now right now we cannot ask these questions I, because I, I we get need it. to keep our highly motivated. Right. I get That's it. I get it. Do. I get it. There's an effort now that we have to concentrate on. I totally get that. But I have to make one observation that I said earlier. And I keep repeating, if there's one lesson we learned this week is that there's only one prime minister of Israel and he's the one above. There's only one who guides us, who leads us and who controls everything that happens in our world. And I think that this was a big eye opener for a lot of people. Uh, there's, There's only one we can depend on. And I'm sure that when it comes to issues of faith like this, you're in 100 percent agreement. I am definitely 100 percent. And uh, Hashem will definitely uh, get us out of this. There's no question about it. Am Yisrael is here forever, and we're strong. And we will emerge even stronger than we are today. Uh, yes, we know that sometimes you have to take a few steps back in order to go forward. Yep. And uh, that seems to be what's happening now. 
and uh, it's painful. It's right now there's a, there's a lot of pain, uh, and like I said, in questions. <clears throat> but Baruch Hashem, the motivation in Sahal already the stories that are coming out. Let me let me tell you something right now. I have a, my my daughter lives in Kibbutz Shalavim. You know where the Shalavim Yeshiva is sure. that that uh, area. No Fayalon. Yeah, she lives there. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, you been there? And she and her husband and Baruch Hashem four kids. Do right. you know what her husband has been doing since? Let's see. It's now three oh seven p.m. afternoon in Israel. Since ten o'clock this morning for the last five hours without stopping for lunch, she's been tying sitzes. <laughs> Why? Because he knows how to do the tzitzis properly. At thousands of chaylim, not not dozens, thousands of chaylim who have never worn tzitzis in their lives have asked for tzitzis. Thousands, and people donated right tzitzis. Sure. And this is not, you know, religious coercion. No one is, you know, we just like <laughs> go around saying, "Hey, guy, you know, put on a damn thing," <laughs> and. They're just asking for it. Well, guess what? <clears throat> there aren't enough. So the census companies, they said, look, we have, but we don't have enough guys to tie it. There are guys tying census by the thousands. And that is something. When the, the census get on, when they, my son called me, um, he was at 4.30 in the morning between Saturday night and Sunday. So Monday morning, he was diving in the Nate's Minion on his base. He said it was crowded. He took a, you know, looks at a picture to me and he said, Abba, there's a bunch of secular soldiers here. They're all coming in. They want to put on tefillin. There's not enough tefillin. He says, we need at least right now two pairs of tefillin. I said, what are you waiting for? I credit card number. So no, boom, they had the tefillin in a few hours. So when, when this is, I don't know, if this is what's happening and, and, and coming out of it of its own. Yep. We yep. will emerge not only victorious, but stronger than ever. He is the founder and executive director of the Am Yisrael Chai Foundation. If you want to see a list of some of the things they've done, go to that website, Am Yisrael with an O, Am Yisrael, Y-I-S-R-O-E-L, Chai.com, Am Yisrael, Chai.com. By the way, you should buy the one with the A as well. Uh, you'll see that the uh, Stay Road campaign is f- is foremost at the forefront, buying a bulletproof armored ambulance for Stay Road. You could donate right there. Uh, plus, you could see a-, a whole bunch of funds and activities that the Amish Rochai Foundation has been involved with over the years. Plus, there's a tab at the top of the page about the Dream Raffle. This was why Shmuel was on to begin with when we arranged this weeks ago, was to talk about the Dream Raffle, which is a big deal, an apartment you shalim, etc. Etc. Uh, I told Shmuel, and he agreed that we'll save this conversation for another time uh, when hopefully things are a bit calmer. Hopefully he'll join us in the next week or two about it, and we'll do a full thing about the Dream Raffle. But I will say, if you press on that link and investigate about the Dream Raffle, if you buy a raffle ticket, use promo code RADIO for a discount on each ticket. Again, you could use promo code RADIO, a uh, reflection of our partnership in the campaign. So again, if you go to Dream Raffle on the Amisrael High website, uh, you could use promo code radio. I'm Yisrael, Y-I-S-R-O-E-L com. Stay Road Campaign Full Swing. And you could check out uh, what they're doing on a regular basis. Shmuel Kolakavod, keep us up to date. We'd love to participate in 
CITSIS campaigns, ambulance campaigns, whatever else you could bring uh, bring to our attention and uh, call out a vote. And I hope you and your family stay safe and that uh, they have a role in eradicating the enemy as we're commanded to do so. Amen. Amen. And everything you do and to your listeners, we're strong. And the most important thing is that we know you're standing together with us yep. in this fight against evil, yep. in this fight to eradicate the Jewish enemy. And Mizrat Hashem, Lishana Haba, Yerushalayim Habanuya. Amen. And please, God, please, God, all of this will lead to complete Jewish, sincere sovereignty over Harabayat. That's the guarantee. That is the guarantee. He, it, it was. It's his Joe Namath moment when Shmuel Sackett years ago guaranteed that in my lifetime we'll have full Jewish sovereignty over Harabayat. Please, God, please, God. Shmuel, stay well and call it a vote. You got it. I'm Yisrael Chai. Thank you, everybody. All the best. I'm Yisrael Chai is right. JM in the AM, hour number three. My thanks again to Mayor Furtick, who sat in yesterday, as I mentioned, uh, quite a distinction for us that this show was hosted by the father of an IDF reservist yesterday, right in the middle of the first week of this war. Honestly, pretty amazing. Kalakavo to those um, who were at the rally yesterday in Manhattan. Kalakavo. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the first hour discussing this, how these public displays are so vital and important during this um, era of social media and Zoom get-togethers, we need to recognize the importance of the actual in-person tefillah gatherings, the actual in-person Tehillim gatherings, the actual in-person rallies and demonstrations for Israel, and getting those videos viral on social media. Obviously, if there are gatherings that are indoors, in synagogues, etc., take videos and get those out as well. And I'm not discouraging Zoom get-togethers for Chizuk and for uh, inspiring words and Divrei Hisoros and, and for Tehillim and Tefillah. Not minimizing that at all. Just reminding everybody that the public displays go, go the extra mile when it comes to the mileage we need to get from them. Um, and these videos need to be circulated constantly. Uh, schools, shuls, Jewish organizations, groups, uh, Facebook and, um, and social media groups, anybody who's doing any activities that are a benefit to the Jewish people and a benefit to our brothers and sisters in Israel, whether it be singing Jewish songs or, or uh, gathering together for specific ceremonies or, or um, having special guest speakers, get these photos and these videos out for all to see. Um, so that everybody out there can take advantage of the fact that there are so many positive things going on and circulate them on social media. Now, I've uh, been informed about a couple of things. Let's see here. Um, Our friends in my hometown of Greater Metro West New Jersey have announced an event for this coming Sunday Fight terrorism, condemn evil, stand strong with Israel. Join the greater Metro West New Jersey community this Sunday as we march in solidarity with Israel, rain or shine. And I think it is supposed to rain this weekend, so it'll make an even greater impression, by the way. At 3 p.m. Sunday, gather at the Suburban Torah Congregation, which is West Mount Pleasant Avenue in Livingston, New Jersey. Uh, At 3.30, they're going to march to the Livingston Oval. The program will commence there at 4 p.m., 
And then when the program ends, they will say Tehillim and Davin Mincha. That's a program. That's a gathering. That's a demonstration. Kolakavod. All synagogues and groups are welcome to join and be added to the partner list. Uh, it says here, Metro West Israel Action Committee. Howard Blank, Josh Comer, Cindy Dresner, Moshe and Renee Glick, Barbara Listhouse, and Larry Rhine. Uh, in cooperation with the Jewish Federation of Greater Metro West New Jersey, who are celebrating their 100th anniversary, you can go to is you can go to emergencyfundforisrael.com, emergencyfundforisrael.com, and again, all this is this Sunday in Livingston, New Jersey. Take videos, take pictures, circulate them, get them everywhere on this globe. I beg of you. Uh, also, uh, I was uh, criticizing, rightfully so, uh, that there's a specific group that has been very silent since the beginning of this war, in my opinion. And that is the group of celebrities in Hollywood and uh, the circle of, of, of those types of celebrities uh, that are outspoken on so many causes. So many, I mean, you know, rightfully, quote unquote, uh, if one person of a certain background gets attacked somewhere on this globe, they're the first to come out and condemn it. Again, I'm saying that rightfully, meaning I say quote-unquote because hopefully, you know, uh, they're doing so under the right pretenses and right circumstances. But uh, Israeli children and its elderly and its men and women are being uh, murdered and or kidnapped um, in the numbers that they have been since Shabbos, and not a word. Not a word from any of these celebrities. It's amazing. Now, there are exceptions, and those exceptions need to be pointed out. Obviously, uh, everybody was uh, glad to see that Jerry Seinfeld, such a high-profile Jewish star, came out with a pretty effective statement. The Floyd Mayweather um, a story is amazing, that he, the, the great boxer, is sending pri a private jet with supplies to Israel. Um, and we have been informed to arrange that, by the way, Kolakavod. Uh, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has made his feelings about the war uh, well known. Usher, who I believe is the is the uh, halftime show entertainment at this year's upcoming Super Bowl, uh, he's made it clear. He released a statement: "I pray for the peace in the world in this dark hour." Currently, reports of a thousand innocent people being murdered, as more and more images of men, women, and children are being released for the world's reaction. I am more and more appalled. Um. He says it. He Dafka points out that this is not a political statement. He's saying it from a humanity slash music and the arts perspective. But all right, at least he said something. Um, what else do we have here? And there are others. There are others that uh, people that we're familiar with who are trying to encourage really well-known stars from around the world uh, to make public statements. But it's amazing how that community has been relatively silent, while the world of government, I think, has done really well. Uh, yesterday's demonstration in New York, Kolakavot to everybody who came out, Kolakavot to the schools that made sure to send students by the by the hundreds to the rally, um, Kolakavot to everybody who was there because the numbers were incredible. The uh, the um, the um, video of the police officers very respectively telling people very respectfully telling people there's no way to get into dog Hummelshot plaza it's too it's too packed and if you want to stand here there's no problem at all just we just want you to realize that you're not going to advance any further from here they handled it really well and of course people didn't move they said yeah we'll stay right here we'll stay right here and show our support 
So these demonstrations are really key, really important, and uh, make a very, very important impression in addition, of course, to the chizuk that it gives to the people uh, that are participating in them and the chizuk it gives to our brothers and sisters in Israel. So we can't emphasize those enough. Um, and I hope that... Uh... Oh, did I say it was September? Thank you, Shlaimi Ash. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> I told everybody it was. Well, that's interesting that I said the 11th of September, with the way everyone's feeling these days. Yeah, but today's, of course, the 11th of October. Um, so, anybody out there who's connected to anybody uh, in that world of celebrity, uh, encourage them to make a public statement and remind them that they'd be making public statements about basically any other situation where uh, where people were innocently butchered and, and murdered and kidnapped. Um, also the schools out there who are, many of them are doing a tremendous job. Um, you now have students that have their own email addresses. I don't know when, when a kid gets an email address. Now our kids are older, obviously. So I don't know if, if one is in first grade and gets an email address, if one's in 10th grade, and gets I have no idea when they become independent when it comes to using email independently. Uh, but now there's a very um, easy way for people to be in touch with their local government officials and a very easy way for people to be in touch uh, with their federal government officials. Uh, so we're talking about uh, a very easy way to be in touch with, uh, with, um, with senators, um, with... Um, with, lo- with uh, members of the United States Congress, the House of Representatives, uh, obviously with the White House, but even local officials should be, should be written to. And the students should, uh, should be encouraged to write those letters. I'm a constituent of yours. I just want you to know that this is a very important topic to me. You know, And, and it, w- it would be teaching a new generation of how to communicate the way they communicate with public officials, which is going to be very valuable now and down the line. So schools, especially older elementary schools and high schools, older grades and high schools, please do what you can. Do what you can to encourage the students to participate in that way. It'll go a long way. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Ich 
J.M. and the A.M. during the musical portions of our program. We're trying our best to uh, keep everybody in the proper frame of mind. Uh, Shema Koleinu, that's from Dveka's Shoresh with Avinu Shabashamayim, as we encourage everybody to teach our children the prayer for the safety and security of Medinat Yisrael, of the state of Israel, the welfare of the state of Israel, and remind our children that it is, in fact, Reshit Michat Gulatenu, uh, the beginning if not already further than the beginning of um, the blossoming of our eventual geula, of our eventual redemption. Ba'anachnu and the Mishaberach Ritzal, done by Aryeh Kunstler, here on a Wednesday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. My thanks to Mayor Fertig. It was quite a uh, an honor to note at this program yesterday, while I was uh, uh, preoccupied, uh, that this program yesterday was hosted by the father of an IDF reservist, uh, pretty telling, frankly, when we talk about the um, number of uh, of members of the diaspora that now have children and grandchildren serving in the IDF. Pretty incredible, frankly. Something that shouldn't be lost on us. Our good friend Avi Abelo uh, can speak personally about serving in the IDF and having relatives do the same. He's the voice of uh, uh, the Pulse of Israel uh, vlog and podcast. He's also producer of Home Game, which will work into our conversation. Those of you who are not familiar with that film, We'll explain about all that coming up here at JM in the AM. Avi Abelo, a pleasure, my friend, to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom, Nachum. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, seems every conversation that we've had this week with people in Israel uh, starts with uh, what Shabbat morning, Shemini Atzeret Simchat Torah morning was in the community where they were. Where were you spending Shabbat? And uh, describe the situation for us as the day unfolded. Oh, wow. Well, first of all, um, I have one son in the army in a, in a commando unit. And so, um, and I'm, I'm a reserve soldier still serving, even though I'm closing in on 50 years old and I could have stopped years ago. And I have another son who finished his Hezder last year. So he, um, he's a reserve soldier. So we started hearing the news on, on our way to shul. I started hearing the news on my way to shul. Um, cause we heard booms. We live in Efrat and we heard booms. My wife woke me up. We heard my mash. We were in bed hearing, hearing booms. No, no clue what was going on. Went outside on my way to shul and, um, started talking to friends and they were telling me everything that would ha- was going on in terms of not just the rocket attacks, but, uh, about the massacres that were, that were starting already in the morning. Um, so, uh, with a heavy heart, I, I, instead of going to shul, I actually ran to see how my parents were because my parents live five minutes away from me. Um, uh, so I ran down to see them knowing like this was, it was already, it was already known the world has changed. Like already Shabbat morning, just to talk to my friends, even without looking at any news, without looking at my phone, I already knew the, the war was coming. Things have changed. Um, so ch- went to check my parents, went to check on my, my sister who also lives above my parents, came back home. By the time I came home, we already had two, two as where we had to run to our rooms, one, uh, our, our safe rooms. One, I was with my parents for one. Then I realized, okay, I can't go to my shul. I go to Rabbi Shlomo Katz's shul, which is whatever, a ten, uh, five, 10 minute walk away from my house. But I have a different shul, like right across the street that I found help found, like I literally roll out of bed. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the shul right across the street. And I said, all right, family, we're davening at our shul, Zayt Ra'anan, right across the street. 
And we got there at the end of Shacharit. Um, there were only like 20, 30 people left because everyone started already started leaving and going home. Again, there were already two Azakot. But we, everyone had to run to their safe rooms. Um, we were there to, to finish Shacharit. And they said, okay, now everyone go home. But before we do, there was a little conversation. And the Gabbai made an announcement. We're doing one hakafa. And I can't tell you how amazing that was to do that one hakatha for 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it was, the 20, 30 of us in shul, we just gave our hearts and souls. And again, we knew what was going on already, not just the rockets. We knew that the, the terrorists came into Gaza because we're, we're all connected to the army and uh, we, we already knew what was going on. Um, and we we were crying our crying out to to Takodesh Baruch Hu and our singing and dancing with that one hakatha we did. There was another... Um, there was another uh, azaka that we had to run to the safe room. So uh, I went to the safe room in the shul. Then there was a kiddish for whoever was left in the shul. Again, the only people in shul who people who people who live within a minute and a half uh, away from shul to be able to run to their safe rooms. And then the rest of the day, basically, I was on my phone waiting to be called up. My son was on his phone waiting to be called up. Um, and I got called up uh, mincha, mamash mincha. I was in shul for mincha before ashray. I got the call and uh, and I was off, so I wasn't even home to finish to finish me Simchat Torah, and I've been uh, ever since in uh, in Miluim, um, and uh, yeah, and the, and the, was, and that the, was my and the, Torah. And these scenes, of course, were, were playing themselves out in God knows how many hundreds of synagogues around the entire country, as as uh, um, a young man after young man. Uh, was being called and uh, instructed to get to their base as soon as possible. And uh, now the numbers, of course, are over 350,000 that are serving in the IDF Reserve actively in this war. Um, and, and you mentioned, of course, about your uh, own relatives in addition to yourself that are either part of the IDF or part of Miluim. We hope everybody's been safe until this point. Um, there is a growing concern uh, and I ask you this because you're somebody who's obviously always following the news in a situation like this even more so. Uh, there's growing concern that with everything we've heard about what's happening on the southern border and the obvious engagement that Israel now has uh, in Gaza itself by air and most likely soon by ground, uh, there's a growing concern about what's happening up north. Could you give us an update on what you've been hearing in terms of, God forbid, a multi-front war? Listen, it's no secret that the the day would come where there would be a multi-front war. It was it was not a question of if, but always a question of when. Does it look like it's going to be now? Uh, I would say more than 50%. It looks like it will be now. Um, on the northern border, there have been some uh, incursions by Hezbollah. Uh, terrorists that have crossed the border. There have been some shootings. We've shoot, we've shot into Lebanon. I think we even shot into Syria because because uh, via Syria there have been a couple of things. Uh, it definitely looks like there will be a multi-front war, and you, I would imagine the reason the state of Israel called up so many reserve soldiers. Never, never in the history of Israel have so many reserve soldiers been called up is because that is the expectation. Um, and it is needed because so many reserve soldiers I know personally not, have not been sent down south. They've been sent up north. So we're definitely being pre- prepared for, uh, for such a situation. Is, uh, is everyone, and even if we think, meaning we here, think we know the answer to this, I think it's important that someone like yourself 
confirm it. Uh, can I assume that every member of government, essentially, obviously there are some exceptions, but those um, uh, members of government of the traditional left wing, uh, we'll leave the Arab parties, etc., out of it for the moment. Uh, is there a consensus about what Israel is likely embarking on in regard to Gaza right now? That's a very interesting question. I think as of right now, everyone on the left-wing government understands that uh, – I'm sorry, everyone on the left-wing of Israeli politics understands that uh, the gloves have to come off, that uh, the whole – this whole cause called Palestine that Hamas is the, is, is the poster child of at the moment – being the headlines um, from Gaza, uh, has to be stopped. The, 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 the horrendous massacre, literally massacre, of men, women, children, babies, grandmothers, taking them all as captives um, is something that's beyond the, the worst scenes happening to Jews like that since the Holocaust, literally, that something has to be done. However, I mean, because of my involvement in, in, in pro-Israel activities, I am already seeing the campaigns by the left-wing NGO movements to stop the army from doing anything using the stories and the faces of the kidnapped, saying that Israel can't do, shouldn't do anything until they return all the kidnapped. That's like their cynical use of of the the emotional manipulation they're going to do right. to to try to stop the Israeli government from doing what's necessary. How many of the left wing politicians will jump on that bandwagon when they push that campaign out, and they will have plenty of money to push that campaign out? That is a good question. I'm sure some will jump on, and some won't. Avi Abelos with us from Israel. All right, what could you tell us about the soldiers when you when you served? I have to assume there were no cell phones. And I would guess communication, even during peaceful times from army bases, was probably discouraged, I would guess. Uh, now we see soldiers who have the ability to communicate with their parents, with relatives, etc. cetera. Uh, is that a good thing? Has it been helpful? Obviously, parents checking in with kids, it's been helpful. Uh, but uh, how would you describe the way things are now um, in 2023 for the Israeli army? Yeah, it's definitely a different world. I mean, I could tell you personally, both as a father of soldiers, of serving soldiers, and also as one serving right now. I just got off my eight-hour shift just uh, 20 minutes ago. Um, it, it's, a, it's a different world. Uh, the, the, the major thing that is the same is the second, the second any soldiers are sent into actual combat, uh, they give their phones, a, uh, their, their phones are taken. So right. no one goes into combat with phones right. for many reasons, which we don't have to go into right now. Right. But, but besides go, being sent into combat, like, for instance, uh, we, I mean, uh, we're all manning posts all over the place, right. like literally all over the down south, up north, across Judea and Samaria. We're all manning every place. And um, we need phones because not always does the official uh, the official uh Radio system work. Right. So the name, the name, when when a radio system is not working for someone to be able to, to talk to each other, to 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 update or give orders or et cetera, et cetera, they always say, okay, we're going to the Mishni. 
Mishni, anyone who knows Hebrew, that's like the 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 backup. What's the backup? Your regular phone. Right. Obviously, that's not the ideal because we're not supposed to be talking security stuff over our regular phones. But uh, but that's a Somet- huge lifesaver that yeah. we didn't have uh, 30 years ago when I was uh, in, in the regular service. And sometimes it's necessary. Avi Abelow is with us. All right, uh, we we uh, you're in an, a very active community. Not that every community in Israel isn't active. Obviously, they all are. But Efrat is one that's very familiar to our audience, and I can only imagine. Imagine uh, how people have voluntarily stepped up to help the soldiers and in as many ways as possible. What could you tell us about the volunteer effort? If, in fact, uh, the soldiers uh, are in need of uh, different supplies and even people to drive down and barbecue for them once in a while or, or on a regular basis. I mean, we're talking about going from a, you know, a, a, a normal size reserve duty uh, to, as you described, you know, over 300,000. It can't be easy, even for the Israeli government, when it comes to supplies and provisions and necessities, etc., uh, to, to just jump to those types of numbers. What can you tell us about the volunteer effort from communities like yours? So I'll, I'll preface it like this, because we just experienced a year of division within the Jewish people, not just here in Israel, but even where the Jewish people in America and abroad were we're all being divided against each other because of politics that most people didn't even understand about. But the message I was giving across day in, day out in all my programming and all of the activity I do was, guys, wake up. We are one people. We are more unified than we think. Do not listen to the headlines. It's a tiny, tiny minority of people who are dividing us. When the, and, and the media is using their lies and manipulation to have people feel we're divided we, and to make people feel like no one's going to show up to the army, that there's so many pilots who are not going to show up, so many soldiers are not going to show up. And I was calling it out since the beginning. It was all one big bluff. And most of the Jewish people, most of Am Yisrael, we are united despite our passionate differences, whether political or religious. And the beauty is today you see that. More than 120% call up to the reserve duty. People who stopped reserve duty or no longer called up to reserve duty are coming. And everyone's showing up. Right, left, center, religious, secular, everyone's showing up, just calling out the bluff of how we've all been lied to by the whole Jewish establishment and media the past year. And the beauty is, and I might, and I don't know if I'm going to shock people by seeing this, we do not win our wars because of our generals and our politicians. We win our wars because of the power of Am Yisrael and the chesed of Am Yisrael and the achdut of Am Yisrael on the ground by, by, by not paying attention to everyone on top who's dividing us. And it's coming out so beautifully. It is wonderful. The, every, the, the soldiers are being bombarded with, with, with food all over the country. I get mothers and kids bringing cookies to me at every single post I'm at. We're being bombarded with food with every single meal. And no, the army does not have enough food for 300,000 soldiers. Doesn't have enough equipment for 300,000 soldiers. The army is not prepared for this type of war, because, which is another conversation for another time. But the Jewish people are stepping up. And, it, and it's giving the socks and it's giving underwear and it's donating money to buy equipment. It's just unbelievable. And it's the amount of people that are, are davening and the amount of Tehillim that's being said and the amount of yeshivas and people who are, who are making tzitzit to then give out tzitzit to soldiers. It is just phenomenal. This is the beauty of Am Yisrael that exists every single day. And this is my beef with the media and the Jewish media that use their precious time and attention to divide us all on narishkeit 
and politics instead of focusing on how beautiful we are and all the beauty we're doing that is bringing the geula. Huh. So it is beautiful to experience. Well said, and um, I hope uh, I hope the people in Israel also understand that there's a. Uh, you know, within the limits, obviously, we're 6,000 miles away, but there are some unbelievable volunteer efforts and gatherings and demonstrations, very important ones that are happening in this area of the world as well. Avi Abelo, there's one final thing that we must address, and I'm glad you reminded me of this earlier this morning. Uh, you produced a film called Home Game, and that was filmed at the time of the Gaza disengagement. H- how did that go, he asked rhetorically. And, um, and maybe you can describe what the Jewish communities of the Gaza Strip were like. <laughs> Some people listening right now won't even remember that there were Jewish communities in the Gaza Strip, what those communities were like, uh, what that disengagement um, uh, was like, and what it eventually, unfortunately, as we see this week, has led to. What could you, what could you remind us about that area of, uh, of the world um, as you look back to 2005? Yeah, well, I'm, I can't tell you how much crying I've been doing the past few days because we warned the whole Jewish people that this is what was going to happen. We warned them. If we destroy 21 Jewish communities in the Gaza Strip, we expel 10,000 Jews from their homes in the Gaza Strip. We pull out all the army. Rockets are going to fall on all of Israel. Terror attacks are going to come upon all of Israel. Innocent Jews and plenty of soldiers, more soldiers are going to lose their lives because we pull out than if we stay inside. We were warning, screaming, protesting. And my movie Home Game was made after the expulsion of those 10,000 Jews and the destruction of the 21 communities in order to give Jews all around the world, including in Israel, an understanding of who those Jews were and what exactly was going on. Because again, the media was not telling the true story. And one of the reasons I was so active in, in protesting the Gaza disengagement, what I call the Gaza expulsion, is because it was clear as clear as day to me, this is back in 2005, that if the Jewish state of Israel destroys Jewish communities and expels Jews, not only will it be more dangerous for Jews in Israel, that will lead, will be a direct growth of anti-Semitism against Jews all over the world. Because, hey, if the Jewish state of Israel can do this to fellow Jews, then we can do bad things to Jews also. And not, and I'm, if, if anyone wants to research this, I can. you can look at it yourselves. Direct rise of anti-Semitism all over the world since 2005. We're living in a different world. And I, I, I think it's a direct connection. And using today, exactly today, again, hundreds of Jews, uh, and, and, it's written, and, and not only Jews, but mostly Jews, but it was targeted for Jews, were massacred. Massacred like we haven't been massacred since the Holocaust. And you have pro, you have anti-Israel protesters protesting all over the world, cheering, literally cheering that Jews are massacred. I just saw a video of a protest in New York City from two days ago. And the person leading this, speaking at the rally, was saying, oh my God, and the terrorists glided in and into this, into this music festival, and they mowed down and murdered all the people dancing there. And everyone was cheering. This is New York City, folks, in the streets of New York, Manhattan. People cheering, and they weren't being lied to. They were being told the exact truth. Jews were massacred, and they were cheering. And I don't know if you heard this, but just I, I just received this WhatsApp today of, uh, of a girl at the Diamond District in Manhattan 
that she was being screamed at by some Muslims chasing her. We're going to rape you just like we did to the we did to your 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 Jews in Israel. So Jews have to wake up. We're all in this together. What's happening here in Israel, even if that was happening to us, it's going to be happening to you all over the world. Stand with Israel to end this insane evil called Palestine. No two-state solution, no support for the Palestinian Authority. End it. It is anti-Semitic to its core. It's the biggest anti-Semitic movement in all of history because it's all over the world. And people like to compartmentalize, oh, it's only against Israel and it's only politics. No, 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 no. It's against all of us. And now is the time everyone must stand firm to support Israel in doing everything necessary that we end this evil called Palestine. Israel is the best country in the Middle East for everyone. There is only one country in the Middle East where a Jew, a Shiite Muslim, a Sunni Muslim, a Buddhist, a Baha'i, an atheist can all live together in peace and, trans- and, and, and prosperity. That's Israel. Yeah. The solution to the Middle East is Israel. The more people living under a Jewish state of Israel, the better the Middle East is. And people have to get that in their head and get out of the Western concept of, of peace and, 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 so, and, and politics. Get rid of it. Think human rights. We are the only country where every single person is guaranteed peace and prosperity in the Middle East. Start supporting Israel 100% letting us do everything necessary to end this evil and now, not only will we be safer, but all Jews all over the world will be safer. Avi Kolakavod, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Nochum. Everyone, and the most important, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge. He is our biggest weapon. Well, there's, tefillah, yeah. Staka, Shuva. Tefillah, tefillah, tefillah. If there's something we learned this past weekend, there's only one Prime Minister of Israel, and that's the one above. 100%. Thank you, Avi. Avi Abelo, everybody, the voice of Pulse of Israel, a vlog and podcast, of course, the producer of Home Game, which he described from years ago, worth researching. Uh, show it to your students. Show it to your children and grandchildren. Achenu Israel and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Wednesday here at JM and the AM. I, it was pointed out to me on the app that Bono and U2 need to get credit also for a song that they released. I'm assuming in support of Israel, so thank you for that. Um, Yossi Zweig with a Wednesday live lunch. that's happening at 11 a.m. Eastern time here at, J- at uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. Back tomorrow morning, of course. Looking forward to having more guests speak to us from the Holy Land at that time. And a big thank you to all of our guests who were part of this morning's broadcast. Much appreciated. If you missed any of this morning's show, worth uh, starting from the very beginning and going through the entire archive. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.